of two eyes, huh? Do you understand the game a bit? Yeah, have a look. I'm not saying anything to you in particular because I know you're not too accurate with your reporting. That, that's what okay, you're paid so you're for. Saying it. I should resign. So you're saying I should resign. I think that's you should, your opinion. Yeah. Is that right? That's my opinion. Fine. Are you going to resign then? No, of course I'm not going to resign. I simplify things next time. <laughs> I got a lot of problems with you people, and now you're going to hear about it. And then we're going to have some feats of strength. It's a festivus for the rest of us. It's a Christmas special for the rest of us. TNC, we are back. We don't need a full quorum. We've got the two main hitters right here. My name is Joe Lynch, joined by the voice of Australian football, according to TNC, Teo Pelizzeri. Teo, how are you, mate? Merry Christmas. Uh, I am economic. I mean, there's a reason I'm not back in Melbourne with family. There's a reason I'm spending Christmas in the shadow realm. I mean, what, where else would I rather be than with TNC? To be honest, like I used to work the overnight shift at SEN on Christmas Eve into Christmas Day. So this is an upgrade. I mean, the sun's still out. This is a massive upgrade. It does feel weird. We are doing TNC when it is daylight, slightly earlier than we are normally used to, but it should be good fun. Yes. Uh, my partner doesn't fly back in from overseas until tomorrow morning. Hence, I am free as a bird this morning as well. Look at all our uh, other weak panellists with family and friends and other loved ones to be. Makes me to be with. Makes me absolutely sick. But it's been, well, I was thinking about this. I keep saying this to anybody that will listen to her, but it bears repeating. I can't, like, it was basically earlier this month. It hasn't even been a month since... I was in Qatar watching Garang Kual almost take Argentina to extra time in the round of 16. But now Australian football continues to just spring delights and delights and delights on us, whether it was the, uh, well, we saw the scenes at the Melbourne Derby and those scenes, well, those scenes have led to a continued evolution in sanctions and uh, the discourse in the like over the past week, firstly, neither you or I were on the show last week when we when this matter was discussed, Tao. So I guess before we move on to the week's developments, what was your reaction watching the Melbourne Derby unfold? Uh, look, I wasn't as surprised or as, as rocked as other people. I think, obviously, I have a, a conflict of interest here. You know, I'm a freelancer and the APL is one of my employers. I'll put that on the table straight away. I, I really have felt you know, a weight of responsibility to get on the front foot about kind of just trying to keep the boat on the water. And I have actually found it invigorating to rise to the challenge of games are still happening. There's still a league, two leagues to promote, you know, the games, you know, not in as dire a situation as some of the, uh, what is it? Catastrophists or is it catastrophists would have you believe? Um, Doomsayers. Doomsayers. Yeah. And look, uh, you know, some people might say, Oh, you're sipping the Kool-Aid. You're a shill, whatever. But, I mean, look, these these sort of challenges come up all the time. And one thing that really hits home for me is I, I worked at, you know, I worked in uh, the EDFL at, at HQ. I worked at FFV at, at head office. You know, I can adopt the mindset of, you know, what HQ's got to do to get through this situation. I, I've i lost touch with what it means to be a parochial one-eyed fan. I have, you know. I mean, I was a Victory member for the first two seasons of Victory, but I was still a Victory member working in the press box at the time. Impartiality has been ingrained into me over the course of my working life. And look, yeah, not ideal. But I also think, in a sense, you know, we don't know what the full penalty is just yet. And I think the real debate has been, how do you weight this to sort of, satisfy all your stakeholders that you've taken 
appropriate action, but without cutting off your nose to spite your face. And that's an extraordinarily difficult balancing act. And really, that's where my mind went, because that the fact it happened did not surprise me, because I do follow the NPL Victoria and have done Quite since 2016. Well, I, I have done since 2016, and I'm not going to plagiarize Mark Boric here. Mark Boric, if you just jump onto his Twitter, Aussie Boo, Mark Boric, he has regularly documented the misbehaviours at NPL games of Victory's fans and the inconsistent standards of how penalties to them have been applied compared to how other member federation clubs without the professional apparatus and arm of being in the A-League have been applied when fans, clubs misbehave. And it's been going on for a long time and it was always going to come to a head, unfortunately, at some point. And with the grand final saga, we had the perfect storm. And and this is where we end up now. And it's just really unfortunate. It is. There are no winners. That's the bottom line. There are plenty of people ready to say, I told you so, but there are no winners. Yeah, that's not winning. And I I think I had a lot of reflections uh, as well on it. But what I'll say first, and I'll tell our viewers right now that Teo hasn't asked me to say this, but what was what he mentioned there, freelance, casual, working for the APL, you shouldn't be taking your anger out on people like in Teo Palazzari's position unless you're going to offer to pay his rent. Like, that's yeah. not like, there's been a lot of talk about, well, there's been a lot of talk about solidarity and all that amongst fan groups and all that sort of stuff. And this also gets into it as well. You don't take it out on the people low on the food chain. You take it, your, your issues are, with the people up high in the food chain, if you don't like the grand final decision, um, that's the APL's board um, and the like. If you don't like what the Victory fans did, that's the leadership of OSM and that sort of stuff. You don't go after um, the people low on the food chain in these sort of circumstances. But the Derby incident itself, yeah, um, it, it, it was – I couldn't – well, I in hindsight, I agree with you, Toe, in that I should have been able to believe what I was seeing. But I think at the time, I was just dumbstruck that it had happened, like play, people running onto the pitch and attacking a goalkeeper and you're sitting right there watching it. I, I mean, I'll freely admit, I was there. We were all anticipating us in the press box that there was going to be a walkout in the 20th minute, which it sounds like that's what security were anticipating as well, the heavy police. And, and, the, and the police, yeah. Yeah, so like all the police and security were pretty much deployed to police a walkout and prevent Melbourne City and Melbourne Victory fans from intermingling on Swan Street. So they had to rapidly redeploy once the pitch invasion happens. But yeah, I was expecting a walkout. I mean, I was, I'd been commissioned to write a news report on the big walkout in the Melbourne Derby. I already had half my copy written. And then all of a sudden you're sitting there like, why aren't they leaving? You know, it's now 22 minutes in. They were supposed to leave two minutes ago. Why isn't there action? And then they spill onto the pitch. And it was interesting speaking to some victory people who have been going down to these games quite a lot and who recognize a lot of faces. They were saying that they were recognizing some faces in that crowd that they hadn't seen for four, five, six years. Um, And all of a sudden they were here at this game and that's when some alarm bells started ringing for them. So... That I think was really interesting. We saw, and that we saw reports from the likes of Havak Sake and the like that they recognized some people who had bans. It's possible that these people did have bans, but they were like for five years long and had served them and like this was their first game back. Well, I, I mean, I touch on the NPL. Everyone who got banned for five years from the Lakeside incident against South Melbourne, you know, and we've referred to this on TNC in the past, yeah. bleach thrower, um, all of those expired in 2021. They were five year bans issued in 2016. So, so unless. Yeah, unless they've picked up additional bands since then. Yeah, that was only 
and we're not saying there's a, a perfect Venn diagram here anyway, because you know, the Beck Wilson files revealed any number of fans who were serving various uh, fans who were serving any number of various bands as well. So, you know, they happen, they happen. And I think, it, look, my, my mind, Joey goes to when we've got interim measures, which have gone down like a lead balloon, both in terms of how they were delivered, but also what they mean. But my concern is, um, are we heading for a situation where the only way to attend a Melbourne victory game is to go through airport style security or are there simple enough ways that you can produce a photo ID with your name on it and a ticket with your name on it in the year 2022 and that can't be abused but also can't be delegated to, again, frontline workers such as casual security guards? Yeah, it's it's a difficult one because you do need, at this point, as you've mentioned, Teo, that there just is a sustained pattern of behaviour at this point. You've referenced the NPL incidents the most recent one of which happened in april of this year a brawl between victory fans and Springvale white eagles fans down at the serbian sports center in well, Melbourne. I mean, to be fair that's the only one that involved victory actually playing in the game there have been incidents at multiple australia mm. cup games and at the Socceroos live sites where potential fallout has continued on mm. and there was the tegan micah incident in uh 2020 2021 early 2021 uh one of those yeah. two seasons yeah early yeah. 2021 there was the Tegan Miger incident obviously victory already received a show cause notice from football australia in january of this year um for the uh anti-gay abuse i'll use the yeah, ESPN Cavallo. style guide the anti-gay abuse hurled at josh cavallo so at this point there is form and something needs to be done and i think that's why you've seen on multiple occasion melbourne victory director uh, managing director Caroline Carnegie has come out and talked about how the club is now going to be reassessing its uh, relationship with its active support moving forward. And we've seen many um, Melbourne Victory fans themselves. It's important, I think, to remember in these circumstances that OSM and the North Terrace aren't the same thing. There are people that are in the North Terrace, that stands at the North Terrace, that attend the North Terrace, that aren't members of OSM. OSM is simply the largest collective that resides in the North Terrace. And a number of those unaffiliated Melbourne Victory fans have been calling for OSM to disband. And I'll read the exact quote um, here, Caroline Carnegie, yesterday in the wake of the sanctions coming down saying, we've been really clear there's certainly not at this time a place for active support at Melbourne Victory. There'll be a healing process that will happen from there. But at this particular time, really what we need to do is galvanize all the rest of our fans to come out and be part of the Melbourne Victory family week in and week out. And then we'll have a look and reassess what the future might look like in that regard. That doesn't sound like a club that wants to go back to business as usual and the way that things used to be. Now, the question is... Instead of paying a fine, in practical terms... Wouldn't it make more sense that Victory redirects its expenditure towards security measures? They're going to have to pay for additional policing. That's been a bugbear of the club for a long time, especially when they played games at Docklands. I mean, so if if the fig, if the fine comes back at a certain dollar amount, can can we assume that will it will actually be a dollar amount in kind because of the amount of onerous expenditure that's going to be placed on the club to find whatever the new business as usual is? Because the, the well, main thing you need to, the main thing you need to restore is the confidence of your 
non-active fans and also your active fans that behave themselves that this isn't going to happen again, really. And and your corporates, you know, Victory's got the probably the strongest corporate partnerships in the country of of any football team. Uh, they they would have corporate partnerships to rival AFL and NRL clubs, if not better than many NRL clubs, I imagine. You want their confidence too that their brands and their billboards aren't going to be besmirched by the scenes we saw last weekend. Well, I did ask Caroline Cunningham about that yesterday, and she said that she was. Well, I think she heard that she was pleasantly surprised with how many sponsors were actually indicating that they were backing the club and going to stick with them. Obviously, a lot of calls have been made by Victory's commercial department in the last week. Many, many, many calls trying to shore them up and, you know, find workarounds in the case of like, okay, maybe instead of cancelling, you can sponsor our women's team or you can sponsor this or you can sponsor that or X, Y, Z. Um, just to try to desperately keep them in the tent in these sort of circumstances. But that sounds like that is working um, moving forward, which I, I thought was actually pretty interesting. I mean, speaking to some people at Melbourne Victory in the da- couple of days after the Melbourne Derby, they were quite concerned that there was going to be a large exodus of sponsors. And then when you add that onto the cost of the extra security, uh, potential fines, paying for potential damages, people cancelling their memberships, getting refunds for their memberships, uh, not signing up in future years, not coming to games in future years and buying tickets. They were really concerned that there was going to be a massive hole uh, blown um, in, in there was a massive hole blown in their uh, <laughs> budget. So the fact that sponsors are staying around, it's really a good thing for the club but not just the club, the people that work at the club, the people that who might whose jobs might have been under threat if a massive hole was blown in the budget, but maybe now can feel a bit more secure. But there's so many different avenues on this, Tao, and we'll try to cover them all, but we've sort of skirted around the issue. So I do want to talk to the sanctions and we'll go through exactly what they are. So effectively, the sanctions are in place since I, until I believe January 14, January 15. They're more of a stopgap measure. Get the feeling Football Australia knew its investigation wasn't going to be complete um, at any point inside uh, 2022. And especially given that, you know, people are going to go on holiday for a few days for Christmas and all of that sort of stuff. But they knew they needed to get something out before definitely the Boxing Day clash. And from an optics perspective as well, you couldn't have victories playing a game without having sanctions handed down and having no sanctions down uh, heading into 2023. So basically what it amounts to is victory no longer able to sell tickets to any of their games, all away games, only uh, members and supporters of the opposition will be able to attend. So in the Western United case, that's Western United fans that had previously bought a ticket, Western United members, and anybody that receives one of 1,000 complimentary tickets that Football Australia will give to Western United to distribute to a pre-approved FA list. I wonder what that is. Um, And then the away games in Gosford and Adelaide, uh, basically only Adelaide fans and Central Coast fans allowed to attend. All the active bays for those three fixtures will be tarped off and closed. And then their home game against Brisbane Roar on January 6th, Uh, No tickets to be sold, only victory members allowed to attend, no active support in home and away. That'll be taped off and closed. So there's a a lot more nitty-gritty detail in there. 
Um, but those were the initial sanctions. Those sanctions only apply to the A-League men's side. We'll get to what this means for the A-League women's in a sec, Taya. But the, as an interim sanction, given that it's almost, well, no, it is certain that more onerous sanctions are going to come in the new year, which might involve points deductions, fines, further crowd restrictions, potentially the loss of home games. What did you think of the interim measures we saw yesterday? Well, I mean, they were necessary, but mm. I guess they are a stopgap. And they were unpopular with travelling fans who were already planning on coming to Melbourne as well. Um, but maybe I should add that any any fans that have to cancel tickets, I believe, Melbourne Victory are a... It's Melbourne Victory and not Ticketek or anything responsible for those reimbursements. Wow, okay. Um, uh, so that was featured. I'm not sure if that covers travelling expenses, cancelled flights and hotel bookings and the like any fees associated with that, but it was part of the release that um, ticket cancellations, reimbursements would have to be uh, shouldered by Melbourne Victory. So my issue here is I just wonder if handballing this issue between different jurisdictions is going to continue to be an issue. Like round one of the NPL three season next year, if there's a rumble, then football Victoria starts on day one. You know, will they have shared their knowledge with the APL? Will they have shared their knowledge with Melbourne Victory? Will they have shared their knowledge with Football Australia? Or is it going to be, all right, uh, good afternoon, Tribunal team. Here's here's your referee's match report. Here's your vision and your photos. Go to work from scratch, right? I feel as though we could have avoided scenarios like this if buck passing between jurisdictions hadn't perhaps already been going on for quite some time. And again, I always, I was working at football Victoria at the time of bleach thrower who the combined efforts, and I've said this on the podcast before, so it's not new, uh, the combined efforts of football, Victoria, Melbourne victory and Victoria police with a photo of the guy couldn't find his name. They couldn't work out who it was, who bleach thrower was. They never caught bleach thrower. Now, I mean, what is stopping anyone if they know who he is now? What's a what's a better nickname, Bleach Thrower or Bucket Man? I didn't like I did yeah, Bucket Man. I think Bleach I didn't Thrower, like that either. If you called him Bucket Thrower, I don't know. But do we know who Bleach Thrower is now? Can we still can we still prosecute that case six years on? I'm probably not. Why? Why not though? I mean, shouldn't that? I so, I that's the one thing I would like to avoid here, regardless of what the sanction is. If the national second division was already up and running, I don't think relegation to the national second division would necessarily be off the table. The problem is there's nowhere to put victory's team. What does a point deduction do other than take them out of top six reckoning? And again, when I say cut off your nose to spite your face. If the points deduction is so big that victory can't make the six, you know, we saw what happened that year. The Melbourne storm got busted for the salary cap and played dead rubbers for the rest of the year. Who does that benefit? You know, and this is the tug of war that is probably going to be playing out behind closed doors. How do you have a strong penalty that doesn't compromise, you know, the fans of the opposition team, the TV broadcast, all the other stakeholders that are invested in this league, you still want their games to mean something and to matter. And ideally you'd like there to be crowds. And that's why I'm still again, leaning towards it's going to be a massive fine represented by onerous measures to allow fans into their games. And if that means they have to kick in for away games because of traveling fans or because Melbourne city or Western United are the home team, or they have to pay more money to play their A-League women's games at venues other than Epping, where let's not forget the Tegan Micah incident happened and also the big rumble with Melbourne Knights um, in the NPL. I, I don't think going back to Fortress Epping is is a good idea, to be brutally honest. 
Well, and then you run into the problem of where else do I guess where where do you play them? Because well, maybe we've seen the, the last time an A League side try to use Lakeside Stadium uh, that didn't work out too well for them. Um, and Lakeside Stadium, of course, the site of the bleach throwing incident. So maybe South Melbourne aren't exactly in a rush to help out Melbourne victory. Yeah, on... uh, yeah, I, let's not forget, Joey, there, there's a section of victory fans who don't give a toss about their women's team or about their NPL team. They yeah. only follow the men's and they'll be looking at this conversation and say, oh, you're too deep in the weeds. You're judging the, the A-League men's team for the for what's going on in the NPL. That doesn't apply to us. Guys, you are one club. <laughs> it's one and club. Maybe, maybe this is the moment that the people who follow the A-League like an AFL team and they, you know, they turn up and they sing Victory the Brave and, and wave their scarf or whatever, right? But they follow football like it's the AFL. Maybe this is the penny drop moment that actually you are one club that fields multiple teams in multiple different leagues at various levels of professionalism with various different responsibilities. And you touched on a really interesting no, no, matter so there. I do, I do think a huge percentage of the fan base just wash their hands of anything that's not literally the senior men's team I mean, enough of their fans already washed the, their hands of the Australia Cup and they only want to follow the A-League. And the Asian Champions League. And the um, Asian Champions League, yeah. But yeah, you touched on a really interesting, something that's going to be really interesting to watch going forward to in terms of the balancing acts that comes with these sanctions. Because as you've pointed out, Victory, well, they've got, they've got the biggest membership base in the A-League men. They've probably got the biggest supporter base in general. Um, we've seen how their crowds tend to prop up the competition's averages. They bring in corporates and all of that sort of stuff. And yeah, how do you impose sanctions on Melbourne victory whilst not at the same time doing so much damage to all of those aspects that you drag the league down with them? Um, whilst at the same time going down hard enough on them to impose real genuine pain that leads to behavioral change certainly from the club's perspective maybe in the way that it handles its support and polices its support and all that sort of stuff and maybe induces members of the um induces supporters to self-police better we uh, nick stoll was talking on the show last week about how ultras around the world will typically self-police themselves um very well in a lot of cases and we haven't really seen that with Melbourne victory. So maybe you need some pain to come in to bring that. But another important part of that balancing act, I think is that it's not the APL making this call about the sanctions. It's football Australia who James Johnson was very clear in his uh, press conference on Sunday, the day after the incident occurred that they don't have a real commercial interest in the A-Leagues. Yes, they've got a little ownership stake and they're the game's regulator and it's in their interests for a strong top tier, but they're not as intrinsically tied. Their, their finances aren't as intrinsically tied into the health of Melbourne victory as the A-Leagues are. So that might open the door for there to be more of a focus on um, some more onerous penalties that, come down really hard and it looks like Melbourne uh, Football Australia has come down really hard and it will play great in terms of the mainstream media because look at Football Australia stamping out this bad behaviour and really going hard that we might not have seen if the we might have seen a different approach taken had the APL been in charge. So that's something that I'm really going to be interesting interested to see going forward. Um, as well, we haven't really talked about the impact of it, but this does, it doesn't, immediately affect the A-League women's program, 
but it has the potential to. Right now, the word is that these sanctions are only targeted at men's games. They're not targeting women's fans in this. These restrictions don't apply to A-League women's games. Um, but the problem is, as has been pointed out by a number of Victory fans, uh, Victory's A-League women's fans on uh, the Twitter, that um, Victory's women are supposed to play a couple of double headers with the men's team and that Melbourne Victory's A-League women's memberships don't actually grant you access to Amy Park games and these double headers. So it's not a case of members only because their memberships don't actually get you into Amy Park for these games. This this is, again, the penny drop moment of the club is bigger than just the A-League men's team that plays in the A-League. And maybe it's a a penny drop moment inside the walls as much as it is outside the walls. Because, you know, Jeff Hopkins is the CEO of women's football at Melbourne Victory. That may not be his title. His title may be head coach. He's the president. He's the CEO. He's the board. He is is the everything. If, If it wasn't for Jeff Hopkins... They'd be back where they were at the bottom of the league when they took over running the team from Football Victoria. Like, They'd be Western Sydney Wanderers. Yeah. Well, yeah, they might even be worse, to be honest, because look at look at the situation that Hopkins inherited when he came in. Consecutive yeah. wooden spoons, um, one of which he presided over, having taken over a wooden spoon team, a squad that had essentially departed for Melbourne City and absolutely nothing that made them a destination. Nothing whatsoever. Yeah. And it's a credit to him to, for turning it all around. But you think about, you know, there have been so many exhausted people that are sort of 15 to 20 years older than me who've been around the game a lot longer, were part of the NSL era, maybe played in the NSL, maybe were media for the NSL. They seem so weathered and worn by this last week. It's hurt them so much more because they've seen just so much more shit that the game has gone through. And Jeff Hopkins has got to be one of them, man. Like, how must how must he be feeling to, to know that, like, f- through no fault of his team's own, they might be now playing behind closed, behind complete closed doors to, at, at Amy Park because of, of the actions of some dickheads at a men's game. Yeah, and Jeff Hopkins has seen some stuff, hasn't he? I mean, he was around at the collapse of the NSL. He was player coach of the Gippsland Falcons. God, remember them? Um, it's interesting you say that, Tyler, because I was speaking to a... Uh, a a weathered and veteran member of the Australian football scene who may or may not be a union leader in London. Um, And he was of the opinion that, you know, this will all be fine in a a month or two. The mainstream will forget the league's going to take a hit, but in the end, there's going to be no damage to this that we haven't seen before. So it's not worth worrying about. Mm. What's your view on that, that um, approach to analyzing what's happened? I'll be honest, the F3 derby was a pretty good palate cleanser, wasn't it? I it mean, was great. As, as soon as, like, how, how, how many of the problems that we have um, with, with sort of football in this country would be solved if we just had teams that played more proactive attacking football and didn't want to hide from the ball and avoid possession and, and maybe, just, maybe just let the football do the talking and entertain us? So how, make... how many problems would be solved in Australian football if we had the cum dog sort them out? But... but <laughs> Is that not the reason the AFL is able to, one, brush so many of its problems under the carpet and, two, reach negotiated positions where perhaps a more impartial body uh, adjudicating things like the Melbourne tanking or Essendon doping or name insert scandal here? All of those were negotiated because ultimately people are entertained and love the game. And so if you walk away 
um, underwhelmed by the spectacle and not enjoying yourself, of course you're already going to be in a negative frame of mind. If you're swept up in the whimsy and wonder of just enjoying the game of football because of how it was played, doesn't it make it so much easier to turn all the other stuff into, you know, the cost of doing business rather than, you know, the business is on the brink? I, I really, you know, I actually do think there's a football-based solution to a lot of the negative PR around the game, which is be more proactive. Just, Play better well, football. the truth is on the pitch. Ostensibly, this is a footballing competition. It is. So it is. Everything yes. should flow from that in a perfect world. So that, that, that doesn't mean big teams with big fan bases winning. It means being entertained by good, entertaining, standard games. Anyway, I mean, the, um, the, the so, Jets no, have fallen off a cliff this season, but last season they didn't even make the finals, but they were one of the most entertaining watches in the entire league because so, they wanted the ball. They played attacking football and Daniel Pena was liable to shoot from the halfway line at any moment. So just to, to put a full stop on the women's um, mm. side of things, we don't know what measures victory are going to take. If active fan groups, you know, whether it's the smaller subculture splinter groups or whether it's OSM or whether it's just a lot more people than usual because they can't go to the men's game. Do we, do we actually know what victory's contingency plan is? Or is that think, still is that still in the too hard basket? It's not in the too hard basket. It's just that it's being worked on basket. I believe because right. so, I mean, so people are working through Christmas to fix these problems. Essentially, is pretty much yeah. pretty much um, like, and it's the case of because you're going to have to keep football Australia in the loop on all of this sort of stuff as well. If the plan is that you're going to keep those double header games that you've got with the men's side at Amy Park. Um, you've got to have Football Australia in the loop because anything that might allow people to circumvent the sanctions has to be gone over by a comb with football, fines with comb by Football Australia, and they'll have to be satisfied uh, that, you know, it's not going to create undue risk, even though, I mean, let's face it, if there's any more crowd trouble for Melbourne victory in the next probably years, but certainly in the near future, if there's any more crowd trouble, we are looking at a situation where the women's team play behind closed doors. The NPL team plays behind closed doors. Basically the entire club, that one club, that, that one club approach, um, they find out anybody that didn't know finds out very quick that this is one club and the actions of some fans will apply to everybody. Um, uh, now, I haven't gone maximum antagonization here, you know, uh, because there is only the two of us, but at, at what point is victory in the NPL not worth the trouble? I mean, if it wasn't an AFC regulation to have a certain number of academy teams playing in certain age groups, would victory pull out of the NPL? I don't think they would. I know you and I maybe have a bit of a disagreement on this thing, and I, I had the same approach to Brisbane Raw when they pulled out um, well, all absolutely, of the academy yeah. side from the not NPL. The first, not the first team to be in this conundrum, no. Yeah. I say, and people, when um, when when people, you know, were looking at Brisbane Raw playing out of the NPL and said, oh, it's fine. They were shit at it anyway. No big loss here. I don't like that logic because it sort of allows the club to get away with not doing the right thing. Like your academy. How, how are the Raw compliant with the AFC regulations then? That's Football Australia's job as the regulator. Um, but like, I, I see it as sort of like a babies and bathwater thing. Just because a team is bad um, or uh, victory, 
you know, they've gone through a lot of change as of late. Joe Palacides has come in as the academy director during a global pandemic, has had one NPL season under his belt. I'm not going to say they're doing the bad, the right, bad stuff now. Historically, Victory's academy has underperformed. I don't think that means that they should just give up. I just think they should do a better job. And quite frankly, you talk about the one-club approach, Tao. I think Victory fans could maybe demand more from their academy and ask why is you know like look at the look at the world cup team why why is melbourne city alum nathaniel atkinson in there you know during qualifying why was denny genro in there connie metcalf yeah why why does melbourne city seem to have a production line of socceroos wherein right next door the biggest club with the most fans the the club that most Victorian kids would have grown up supporting at this point. Where's our production line? Like that should absolutely be something that the club, uh, the fans aren't demanding of the club. And well, I mean, they've now got the man that created that production line for Melbourne city working for them. So ostensibly he's got the runs on the board to demonstrate he can do it. But like, so that's why I disagree with like, why, like, I know you were just talking about, making more a, a more pointed point about victory but whenever i hear stuff about pulling out from the npl that's where i think just just because no, 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 they're bad that's, at... that's a good point but um i just like again whatever sanction is given to victory is it going to be you know previously it'd be two men and a dog at epping stadium now it's going to have to be like 50 or 40 security guards but that might end up me being more security than fans if people decide not to go uh, I mean, is it is it you can't you still have to play the games on weekends in NPL three in particular. You can't play them at Victory's training field at nine a.m. on a Monday because your opponents won't be available to play. You know, and, and even though that might be the easiest solution in order to stop trouble from being caused. Uh, and you know, the New South Wales the Shadow the Shadow Realm League up here has had its own issues. They, they've had a far more um, sort of move to action in terms of fans not being able to attend. I think it's Sydney United versus Rockdale that has yeah, historically that histo- yeah. historically has had no fans. Um, that bloke with the uh, the lawnmower blade. That yeah, got no, but even, even before then, I, I remember back in the day, you know, the memes pages would announce that um, this weekend's match between X and Y will take place on the moon uh, so that <laughs> fans can't attend, you know. Uh, I just can't, I don't want to uh, name any teams in, in error. Um, uh, but uh, I guess... It's, it's a tough one because we both care so much about the NPL. We both want the NSD to come in. And there's been enough blowback for the NSD after the Australia Cup final. There's been enough blowback to the A-Leagues after what's happened this week. I mean, we, we have to just keep riding these scandals, man. We want the boat to stay on the water. And, and we're, we're paddling away and we're getting our little buckets and we're throwing out the water as it comes on board because we care. We just want the, we, we want to enjoy the games and we want to progress to Nick Stoll's utopia of 38 games, it's in winter and there's promotion and relegation. You know, we'll get there eventually. Yeah, and I guess when you were talking about that, Taylor, you can't play these games uh, at 9am on a Monday at Victory's facility because the opposition won't be available. You can't play them at 9am on a the Monday dog, at Victory's the dog facility. Walkers will be walking yeah, because Victory the doesn't have a facility. Like, City in the past have played NPL games at their uh, Bandura City Football Academy. They, they, they played an A-League women's game there once. Yeah, like, you can't do that for Victory, so that's another problem. But listen, you touched on it. This entire thing, I think I need to make it very clear here that nobody stuck their hands up these these people that run on the fields, that nobody stuck their hands up their asses and made them run on the field like a puppet. 
This was entirely on them. But it's impossible when you're talking about this sort of stuff, you can't ignore the other stuff in the room, the environment that led up to it, that informed it. Grand final decision that was talked about last week on the show as well. We've seen protests continue this week. We saw a uh, collective protest from Terrace Novocastria and I think it's the Yellow Army, the Central Coast fans at the reorganized F3 Derby. Saw protests from the Shed. Last night, we've seen protests at A-League women's games as well. So, but it feels like inevitably, and I wrote a piece on this during the week, that the the incident at the Derby has completely changed the nature of these fan protests. I think, I'm not going to ask you to give your opinion on it, Tao. I've already said that not a fan of the grand final move, don't like it, didn't think it was needed, don't think it's been communicated well at all. And I think how badly it's been communicated has exacerbated the anger and the frustration significantly, but we can analyze instead the nature of the fan protests and how they're evolving now without casting any out. Your piece piece touched on the the change of language that I think there is some resignation there. The deal's done. Um, I think people begrudgingly accept, Hey, a state government did actually want to invest in football what's happened at the victory game is going to make it a hell of a lot tougher to get corporates and governments to invest in football, women's football, maybe not so much of a problem. A league's football and a league clubs, slightly more of a problem now as a result of the PR hit. So, Hey, at least that, at least that deal is in place. And there's evidence that, you know, a government was coming to the table with an eight figure sum. And yeah, obviously the, the protests gave shelter to bad actors to come in and, and, be, be hooligans and, you know, not enough uh, cautionary tales were followed from six or seven years of evidence that this could absolutely happen. Mm. And, yeah, it, it really is a case, you know, as I wrote in a piece for The Guardian, that those individuals that entered the field of play really did betray, betray the rest of the fans that had been doing this protesting thing because if there was any hope of any reversal of the decision before, it went up in smoke the seconds these people ran on the field and threw a bucket at Tom Glover's head. doesn't matter what Tom Glover did um, in the build-up to that incident, the, the whataboutism we've seen from some Victory fans. Nobody made them throw a bucket at him, and that's just... Oh, so, some one-eyed Victory fans still want his head. I mean, I just... He's going to be investigated. We should point out Football Australia have noted that they're still investigating Melbourne City. So, congrats. Well, there you go, Victory fans. City's being investigated. That's continuing. They're they're not getting active support for their next games as well. You can stop replying to everybody. City's still being investigated as well. Uh, but it wasn't City fans running onto the field in the derby. But yeah, it's one thing I also did note um, in my piece, and it's something that we've discussed, Teo, with ourselves and some others as well as media professionals is that this fan evolution, there's been a shift in language, there's more focus on maybe getting other gains, a seat at the table in the APL decision-making process. They're not going to get a seat on the board, but the board can establish an advisory panel that um, features fan representatives and that sort of thing. They've added their weights to calls for some level of independence on the board, whether that's a fully independent board or an independent chairperson. Uh, A-League women's fans are very active in calling for the board's uh, gender balance to be fixed. Right now, there's only one woman on the APL board and she was put up by Football Australia. So of the APL presence on the APL board, there are no women. Um, It's all men. 
Um, but one of the problems that the fans are, might increasingly face going forward is there's no figurehead. There's nobody to speak for them. When Channel 9 News want to get somebody to talk about this issue, they can call up the APL and they can get Denny Townsend. When foot, when they want to talk to someone from Football Australia, they call it Football Australia and they can get James Johnson. Mm. Who do these mainstream outlets, unfamiliar with the nuances and the complexities of the local game, unable to explain it succinctly to their viewers um, what's going on, who do they call to get a fan perspective on this? Well, they, they can't. I mean, is there not a reason why the Victory Active End has had so many splinter groups and so many name changes over the journey? It's because the leadership and who the people want to listen to has, has changed so frequently and there's been so many disagreements about how the team should be supported. That's how we got the North End, South End. It's it's how we have had all sorts of changes to and that's just one club. Never mind other clubs and all the nuances and difference of, of their uh, fan groups, who's in charge, who's the leader, what's the the voice. The reality is that there is no one sort of collective leader of the fans. There are plenty of self-appointed ones, don't get me wrong, but they don't actually, you know, people don't fall into line behind them, even if they are self-appointed, right? So I, I suppose, what? how do you judge what the voice of the fan is? You look at things like TV ratings. You look at things like crowds and gate receipts. You look at where, you know, you aggregate your membership databases and look at the postcodes and where they where the people live, how many times they swipe their membership cards and go to games every season, how much they're spending, what are the ages and the, you know, are they concessions? Are they adults? Are they premium? Are, are they pensioners? You know, you, you use the data. It's and like really, you want to go diving in a data lake, Tyler. Well, the, the, voice, the voice of the fans has never been more capably measured. I mean, can you imagine that back in the day when we still had linear TV ratings and no, well, minimal internet or no internet in Australia, you know, the 90s, that the interpretation used to be, you know, remember when, uh, was it Doug Mulray who got Australia's naughtiest home videos pulled off TV because Kerry Packer rang up and said, get this shit off the air? Um, you know, it used to be that if the Channel 9 switchboard took one complaint, it represented 100 people. Now, one complaint represents one, I was about to swear, I don't swear on this show, represents one effing person. And we've never had better evidence. We have never had better evidence, thanks to Facebook, Twitter, um, Instagram, uh, Reddit, Reddit. We have never had better evidence that you cannot extrapolate out of one complaint because the niches and the hills that people die on and the stuff they complain about represents exclusively them. And I think that that's the issue that fan bases have, that if you appoint one leader, even within their own club, there'll be 100 people that disagree with them. They won't speak on behalf of 100 people. The data doesn't lie you know that that's what i would say that's what the voice of the fan is the numbers well another thing that i i've taken note of uh surrounding the fan protest is that while they still exist it feels like the rage isn't burning as hot as what it once was um like and you can measure that in various ways the a-league's accounts aren't being ratioed as hard as they were after the initial announcement was made um you know so a-League memes isn't going, isn't as angry and going as hard on this thing anymore. And that was always going to be another problem, I think, for the fan protests of how you maintain the rage before apathy hits in, people get distracted by Christmas, or maybe people's Christmas holidays finish and they have to go back to work. 
and they aren't in a As I said, maybe the games are better and people get swept up in actually enjoying the games. Well, that was another... Easier solution. Easier solution. Play better football. And, well, and that sort of gets to another thing that I noticed uh, in the Perth Glory versus Wellington game yesterday. But there were two things that I noticed. One, just as the Shed was doing their walkout, the 20th minute, Perth scored a goal. And some people decided to stick around because their team well, had just scored a goal. I think and the fine. other problem due was... To, due to the way the stadium is set up, as soon as the shed left, a whole, pe- a whole bunch of people that didn't have seats went and just that, swelled that's in. the other thing that I was going to point out. The, the shed had designed their walkout to be a very powerfully, sim- uh, symbolically powerful moment. Here we go. Here's the loudest Perth Glory fans. And every time action went to that end of the stadium, you would have seen a big empty section um, behind the goals because the fans had walked out and, you know, powerful act of solidarity. All the rest of the fans hadn't filled up because they recognized the protest. Problem was, and I imagine, I imagine most of the fans, most of, if not all of those fans that promptly went and filled those seats had very little idea of why Perth Glory, the Shed had walked out. You know, they're not on soccer Twitter. They're not on, you know, they don't mass- massively consume um, the comment sections on Facebook and Instagram. Um, they're not, you know, aware of the collective statement put out by 11 uh, active support groups. So the fact that that message wasn't able to get out there beyond the bubble. I mean, the, the the fan group statement was reported on by a number of mainstream outlets, mostly in good faith, um, mm. as I noticed. But individual protests, the shed putting up a uh, post on their own social channels and it getting retweeted by A League memes, isn't going to reach enough people to really let them know why they're walking out and like to not fill those seats and um, that sort of stuff. So that also sort of makes it difficult for these very visual acts of protests to um, be accomplished. Uh, but we've been talking about this for a while, Tao, 45 minutes. In, in, true, um, in true espresso edition uh, tradition. It's for, true espresso edition. We've been going, just two of us have filled 45 minutes of this conversation with people taking people down a history lesson of misbehavior. Yeah, let's, and... be, let's be honest though. Most people are listening to this podcast, pretending that they're on an important phone call to get away from family members that are getting yes. on their nerves at Christmas lunch. So uh, you're welcome. Yes. Well, we will uh, now move on to other matters. And yes, I will let our uh, viewers and listeners know we have put the call out to try to get other people on the show, some guests. We've taken out a few ads on a few uh, dating apps uh, we've sent out a signal to to space. We've sent out messages to the four corners of the earth. We're, we're trying to get some more people on. So hopefully we'll see people pop up uh, throughout the show. But Teo, we can now move on to, well, we'll touch on both Aliga men's and Aliga women's. Well, what do you want to talk about first, Teo? Aliga men's or Aliga women's? No, no, let's, let's fly through the hombres first. Well, the hombres first and well, I guess we can talk to one of the big results that happens. It just literally finished before we went on the air. MacArthur 3, 10-man Sydney FC nil. Steve Corica is heading into Christmas. And at this point, Teo, his team's lost four of their last five. They've lost five games this season. That's the equal most in the league. I mean... 
they're still close to the finals just because of, you know, this is really a league that doesn't have, yeah, yeah, it's a very, you know, there's a lot of parity in this league, but is that the only saving grace for Steve Corica at this point? The fact that the rest of the league sort of hasn't kicked away and Sydney FC are, as we speak, only one point outside the top six, despite losing five games and only winning three. I mean, if you're going to give him infinite chances, you may as well keep him for the duration of his contract. I mean, we both watched the documentary. We both saw that boardroom scene, whether confected or not, whether it was the real chat or not. I mean, they kind of settled. They settled, really. They weren't ruthless. They settled. And what did Sydney FC do during the World Cup break? I mean, they discovered Max Burgess the same way that Tony Gustafsson discovered Katrina Gorey. Congratulations. The answer was right in front of you all, all along. But, I mean, really, they've, they've and then blown he got that concussion and couldn't play this week. Well, they've blown that month. They've blown that month. So, again, if you're going to have chances after chance expire, you may as well you may as well let it run its course. You know, I, the thing that hits home about the documentary is Sydney FC will be, will be fine. We're going to our new stadium. It's going to solve these problems. Oh, it's not going to be like Wanderers. Yeah, sure. Wanderers were banking on a new stadium for two seasons to make up for all their shortcomings, but that's Wanderers. We're Sydney. Well, here you are. You yeah, know, yeah, you, no. you've done You've done exactly the same thing. And yeah, credit, credit, it, it, to, credit to MacArthur. I mean, they, they have been a trying watch at times, but... Dwight, they still have a lot of individual talents that are, you know, worth tuning in for that can do things in moments. I would like to see a more cohesive team, but they are built to win without the ball. They are built to win off the back of individual moments and brilliance. They are not, you know, hey, they've already won one trophy. I don't know if they're going to win a second one playing the way that they currently are. Well, who knows in this league, but Sydney... I know, like this is like there's no draft or anything like that in the A League, uh, Liga Hombres. But it's no, no like, draft either. Yeah. Yeah. Merry Christmas, Tay. Joey. Merry Christmas. Yeah. Uh, thanks, Tay. You bastard. Um, but, but like, it's like, but I, I think about like, what's, what's the biggest curse, for, especially for teams in a closed league where there's no relegation. Um, you can just come back next year and have a go. What's the biggest curse for a team in that situation? It's not finishing bottom. It's continued mediocrity. Um, it's just plodding along being just good enough. You know, like you scrape into the top six and you then go out in the first week of the finals or you very bravely just miss the finals, but you never bottom out. You never have that come to Jesus moment where you reset things. You just sort of plod along thinking, Oh, we were close. You know, if things go our way, maybe we finish, you know, fourth, we get a home final, something like that. And you just keep plodding along. And to be honest, the A-Leagues is sort of built to reward that behavior in a way. There's a salary cap designed to ensure parity. As we mentioned, no promotion relegation. Half the competition plays finals football. So it's very easy to fall into that trap. Where in like Wellington Phoenix last year made qualified for finals in sixth with a goal difference that was like what negative 16 but it's uh yeah pretty much i mean blow it up and tank in this case can be just draft lottery <laughs> draft how, many lotteries, balls, but... how, how many balls can steve Corica get sydney fc in the lottery yeah but the question uh, and i've noticed something on the bottom of the screen which we'll get to at the second but the question i think for you mentioned last year Taylor, the sydney board weren't ruthless the question inevitably comes for Sydney FC is 
if this is as good as it's going to get under Corica, mm. is this good enough for Sydney well, FC? Besides, you think it's supposed to be the biggest and best in the league? Yeah, no, it's already been as good as it's going to get. There's just no, there's no easy way. Well, you and I think that. Obviously, the board doesn't. Yeah, look, um, there's there's no there's no easy way out of this. Um, he's he's been given enough time to reinvent himself. Off seasons, World Cup, an unprecedented World Cup break in season, and hasn't been able to make the most of it. Here we are. Do you think? Do you think he gets January? He goes out and he convinces the board, "I'm going to sign someone and I'm going to fix it." No. All right. Like he'll he'll get he'll get January, but I don't think he'll fix anything in January. I think I think there'll be false dawns. Like you think back, they remember the game where they smashed Western United three nil, just on a, a Saturday night last season. Narsing scored his one and only goal, and. A number of Sydney FC fans after that game said it's just a one-off. We haven't turned the corner. I do wonder if the odd false dawn and the odd win in Dispersed will be just enough to keep people in charge strung along, not to have to make a difficult decision on a club a club icon. And that, once again, just gets back into mediocrity being good enough in this league because you can dress it up um, enough. The lack of uh, tension um, and jeopardy in this competition, which... Well, TNC, we're the number one proponents of that uh, theory, so I won't um, hammer onto it anymore. But I mentioned that we'd put the call out, we'd sent a signal into space, we'd sent a signal to the four corners of the earth, we'd put taken out some ads on some uh, dating apps. Well, it looks like the last one has paid up benefits because he's been missing for weeks. But ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls... Nicholas Dabano joins us. Big round of applause for Nicholas Dabano coming mm. back. I from his. I think he's been trekking in the Himalayas or something. That's why he hasn't been on TNC. Um, no, no, he's he's back, Joey, because um, he's from a good Italian family, and they don't use the microwave to cook anything for Christmas dinner. <laughs> there we go. That is excellent. Teo yes. Pelizzari with the best line of the night so far. Nicholas, how are you, my son? Uh, yeah, good, good. Merry Christmas uh, to all. Uh, it's been a, a long few weeks uh, off the podcast, took a bit of time away from the sphere, uh, but it's great to be back. I thought great time to return just before Christmas, get into some uh, into some of the action and whatnot. But uh, yeah, excited to be back after a bit of a hiatus. You know, I've, I've missed it. I've, I've seen the comments. I've seen the, uh, you know, where is he? Where is he? And everything like that. Don't worry. I still, I still have a keen eye to the ground, even though I was on, I was on break. So, um, no, awesome to be back. Thank you guys for the introduction. No, no one was this excited about me coming back after months away, Nick. So you need to make the most of this. I, did, I clearly didn't build uh, enough puns. Clearly didn't build enough puns into my name. Well, I'm looking at the comments now, and the 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 D apostrophe puns are just absolutely <laughs> flying off, especially from Daniel. Uh, <laughs> yeah, Nick, Nick Dubzone has certainly arrived. Um, yeah, no, nah, it's, it's 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 good to be back. It's good to be back. I'm I'm very happy, very charmed. Before we put a full stop on Sydney MacArthur, you got anything to add? Uh nah, just very big. Con- main main thing is very big concerns for Sydney. Like Jesus, like major major concerns. Um, but tell you what, you know, MacArthur had some decent moves going forward. Even I was very surprised to see Arzani didn't start, um, you know, interesting move from, from Dwight York, but Hey, Arabuli was it now three goals in three games? I think it is three goals in uh, two, three goals in two. 
So, I mean, he's getting himself in good areas, some tidy finishes. So, you know, it looks like maybe MacArthur have someone who can put the ball in the back of the net. And that's something they've certainly, they've certainly lacked at least for the last season since Matt Darvish has left. So, yeah, curious to see how that one plays out in the long term. But um, nah, big, big concerns going back the other way for Sydney FC, um, especially defensively. They were so porous even before going down to 10. So uh, not a great day at the office for them. Well, you touched on it there, actually, Nick, the defensive porousness. Do we think Alex Wilkinson fixes this? It's not just Alex Wilkinson. Like, I mean, they were supposed to, they're supposed to have him and Jack Robwell out there. And if you're relying on the two of them, then you obviously haven't been paying attention. I mean, Alex Wilkinson's coming towards the end of his career. And how long did Jack Robwell last in his first game back? Was it 45 minutes? And then he was off again injured. I mean, you know, that's been the story of his career. So, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's major concerns. And I think that's certainly an area Sydney need to go and look at, you know, reinforcing in the January transfer window, not just in defence, but also as well in midfield too. So I think they've got some big concerns that they need to sort out. Um, I heard the question about, would you give Corica at least January? I think now the fact that, you know, we love to use the term, you've made your bed. Well, I think you've got to see out the season and see how you do it. Give him a January transfer window, see what happens if he can turn things around. But if he doesn't, then there's going to be big questions at the end of the season. All right. To use another TNCism, how does Sydney restump the house? <laughs> Uh, that's a good question because is the style going to change much this, depending on how, like, even if they bring in like three or four new players, the big question above all of it is, is the style going to change? Because well, we already have sort of had the re-stumping, haven't we? The switch yeah, to the 4-3-3 so three, three was the re-stumping. Re Can we re-stump twice in a season? Is it, is it possible? Oh, Home renovation's gone mad. Another rebuild in the season? Jesus. Well... Before you, well, before I move us on, any any more thoughts on MacArthur or Sydney? We haven't really. Well, MacArthur, I actually do. What do we think of Dwight York as a coach? It's a lot of vibes. Well, I <laughs> mean, but, but speaking He's of Jack. Yeah, but speaking <laughs> yeah. of the the, the restump, I I think that the the duo with Russell Latterby works really well. I think mm. that you know they've they haven't just hired a manager; they've hired a management team. Um, and is it uh, Anthony Creer that is there as well at MacArthur now? Anthony Creer, nominally their S&C bloke, but this is a bloke that's actually been in the dugout before as well, so he brings a bit more football IP. But, but if you wanted someone who just knows who's who in the zoo to bring two you know, new guys coming to the country for the first time up to speed, I mean, again, you need a Sherpa. You need someone to get these guys up the mountain. Uh, well... That's Good point. Will be I mean, interesting moving forward. Um, yeah. But right, so there were four other Allega Ombre's games since we last recorded. Uh, let's not waste our time too much. Well, let's get the one ones for now, and we can talk about the game on Wednesday. Good football. Central Coast Mariners three, Newcastle Jets nil. Well, it was good and the bad and a little bit of the ugly. Let's talk about the good first, uh, Nick DeBarno. The Central Coast Mariners, what do you think? Mm. Uh, they were pretty good. I mean, they were much better this time around than the last F3 derby. I mean, uh, Marco Tullio is looking pretty decent. Like, you know, he was very slow out of the gates. But, um, you know, a really, really tidy finish for that first goal. Like, you know, to have the, the Cajones to sort of look up and the Smarts to look up and see Jack Duncan was off his line. One to try it, the Cajones to try it. And to have the Smarts to pull it off and the, the precision to pull it off was a brilliant... Brilliant strike from him. Um, but then again, as well, defensively, like 
they just defended so well, I thought, for most of the game. And it really was typified the desperation from Brian Kaltak getting back and sort of sacrificing his head to, to keep that goal-bound effort from Beck and Mikkel Tadze from equalising. Uh, I think they've got a good partnership down there with Kaltak and Hall. Really big fan of the two of them in defence. I mean, Triantis had his opportunity, but, you know, his time will come. He's still only 19. His opportunities will come, I'm sure, throughout the season. But Dan Hall and Kaltak as a partnership for me going forward is the one. But going forward, they're just ruthless Central Coast. And they've got so many ways that they can hurt you right now. And, you know, even when Qual does leave at the end of, I believe at the end of next week, um, after the New Year's Eve game, then, you know, they've still got like Benny and Kololo who can still come on and, and cause havoc. And, you know, Paul Yongo, in terms of their striking options, is still out. And they've even um, unearthed another player in Kosevsky as well, who probably should have scored too. So the pipeline just never ends at the Mariners. It's actually quite got- exciting. Sammy Silvera as well. Yeah, Silvera as well. I think probably he's going to get first, um, he's going to move into the starting lineup, um, back into the starting lineup, I think, in the next weeks. I think he's good enough. Did they start both of them on Wednesday, Qual and Silvera? No, Silvera was on the bench. Oh, no, they did. They started them both on each flank. Oh, yeah, they did. My bad. Um, But I, I really, basically, what I'm saying is I really rate Silvera. I really rate Silvera as a talent. I think he's able to go, he's going to, you know, He's really going to kick up another level. Um, Central Coast Mariners. The Mariners, I think, are interesting. We know they can score goals. Um, do we think the Mariners could potentially be actual championship contenders this season? This will be their third season in a row where they're good. They had the one season under Stadge, which they were, you know, fairy tale story but they really began to get found out towards the end of the season. And, you know, they had the magical run at the start results, performances and results really took a skid, which towards the back end of the campaign, which I kind of think isn't really widely acknowledged, but it did happen. We're a better side under Nick Montgomery last year in his first season in the main chair. Linear progression suggests one thing. Do we think that that linear progression uh, is capable of delivering a championship contending side. I, to be honest, though, I should say, literally, if you make the top six, you're a championship contender because there's no real outstanding city are close, but there's no real outstanding team in this league that makes me think that no team could touch them. Um, but do we think the Mariners are potential championship contenders? It's tough. I mean, other than City, I can't, I can't see them beating City or Adelaide, to be honest. Yeah, it's, or Adelaide. It's well, it, it's kind of like what, what style is going to stand up come finals time, you know, because yeah. last season pragmatism, pragmatism won out, you know, Western United. Do, we know, do they have any that. aspirations to highest, to sign a player to replace Qual or does everyone just move is up Krasevsky, one of the order? Is Krasevsky just like the next one up? Is like, Ooh. is that the plan? Like just hope that maybe he can, you know, fill a gap. I mean, the Mariners are always limited in what they can do and spend, but I wouldn't be surprised if they look at bringing someone in. They should, in my opinion. Are we, are we certain that Nick Montgomery is going to survive January and February without a club in England just putting a contract in front of him and saying, come save us? No. Never know, but... Yeah. I mean... I don't, I, look, I hope he stays the season because he's done a phenomenal job and Australian football is benefiting from it as a result. But, you know, as soon as you're in demand, you tend to get poached away. Hmm. And... Well, although to be honest, thinking about when you, I don't think the Mariners are incapable of being pragmatic. Yes, they're very good going forward, but still a lot of P and P in there as well. 100%. Um, so they 
you know, playing on the counter and stuff, they score a lot of their goals on the counter as well. So they can be pragmatic, even if they do it, you know, with a bit of cum-dog-inspired flair. Um, but, yeah. I, well, to be honest, let's let's talk about the Jets before I come back to Teo's um, statement about Adelaide United because um, – but the Newcastle Jets, on the flip side of the Mariners – it's not going all that well for them. They've they've won three games and they're only two points off uh, the top six, but they've also lost five. Um, they've lost four of their last five games. The, this doesn't look like the box office jets that we like to talk about last season. Yeah, This year, they're looking nothing like that. Obviously, the, the loss of Daniel Pena has been massive for them with the amount of creativity um, that he provided. Of course, he led the league by some distance in assists last year as well. Becca Mikultadze isn't the same force that he was last season thus far. They've brought in some new players that we, 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 during our season preview, we had some concerns surrounding their recruitment and the type of player that we were, they were bringing in felt in some regards, it was one note recruiting in a way very specific um and like Trent Bahaja and Josh Terrio just for that they were very good Joseph um but it, it feels like they were PMP at times last scene as well but like with Soterio and Bahaja now it feels like they're becoming a lot more like a lot the rest of the A-League's teams in a way than they were last season and the defensive issues remain am I being unfair no I don't I don't, I don't no. think so no, it was head scratching recruitment from minute one, um, and you know there's no resolution to this. While the ownership situation is mm. what it is, it's no no one wants a 25 percent stake in making a club altering decision, and no one wants a 25 percent stake in having to, um, you know, set up uh, the future beyond a club altering decision. What they have is a 25 percent stake in finding a new owner to make the hard decisions instead of them. It is going to be care. It's effectively caretaker mode. Unfortunately, I think that's what you have to classify it as. They're treading water until a new owner comes in and relieves the admittedly very admirable effort, collegiate efforts of the other owners, keeping a team and a presence in Newcastle in the A-Leagues. But hard decisions can't be made until it's someone's to make. Hmm. No, I agree. Well, they're, they're very shackled with what they can do recruitment-wise. You mentioned, Taylor, like, you know, how, how much can they really do with very limited funds and if they don't really have an owner? So it is difficult, but also, like, even in terms of the players they've brought in, not just some of the head-scratching ones, but someone like Renault Piscopos have gotten off the ground for one reason or another, whether it's been injury or form before that. Um, you know, hopefully he can start to really, you know, pick up his sort of, you know, hit his straps on the, at the Jets because I was very excited about that signing going into the season, I thought if anyone's going to be, you know, the guy to potentially help fill that Daniel Pena-sized hole, it might be Renault Piscopo. Uh, Darts Malley has shown signs at times, but he drifts in and out of games a little bit. Daniel Stein's the same, but it's tough. It's really tough for them. I feel sorry for Arthur Pappas, like, with what he has to, what he's got at his disposal. It's, 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 not, it's not a good enough squad right now. It's, it's tough. I think Pappas is capable of writing the ship potentially heading into the future like maybe you finally get the jets some ownership you get them some clarity and 
clarity on what they can accomplish and what they can do. You could start doing some long-term planning. Maybe you're not running the club off the smell of an oily rag a little bit more. But yeah, right now it sort of feels like the club is treading water. And like if these put type of pro- these types of performances were being produced where there was uh, concrete ownership in place and there was better funding in place, Arthur Pappas probably would be under pressure right now, such is the ruthless nature of football. Um, but you do have to take the extenuating service into account. But then again, he, he at some point, you know, the Jets did, you know, replace the, the APL ownership, the collect, not APL ownership, the collective ownership of other clubs. They did replace um, one coach and bring in Pappas already. So they will, you know, replace coaches at some point. Um, but I, I'd, I'd, I want to see them turn it around because I really enjoyed watching them play last season. Like just, I would just tune in to watch them and just have fun, which I don't normally do. Which are quite watching, fun. Yeah. I, I don't normally watch. I don't normally have fun watching games um, when I'm working and my brain just goes to that working place. But um, that was fun. So uh, I want to see them turn it around, but you can't ignore what's in front of you right now. They've had some bad breaks go their way, but right now they're not looking good. Um, but we'll move on to um, the other games that took place across the A-League men's this week. Two 1-1 draws. Brisbane Raw 1, Western Sydney 1, Perth Glory 1, Wellington Phoenix 1. Well, Teo, you were on the call for the distance derby. What did you think? Look, Phil Moss had given me a pretty detailed rundown of the Phoenix's logistics and what time uh, they had been up, how many hours they'd spent in travel. I think Oscar Zavada mentioned that they'd spent 12 hours in transit getting over to Perth. We all expected that they would burn out, uh, but Perth weren't good enough to overrun them. And it felt as though this game was a slow burn that ultimately there was nothing on the end of the fuse because the first half kind of set the table. Wellington had a great chance to go 2-1 up, which we thought would have meant Perth chasing the game, would have meant a bit more urgency and desperation. Perth were their own worst enemy at times in this game. Their ball speed, their unwillingness to sort of play proactive passes out of the back four. It feels as though the the banner of this game was the ball glued to Daryl Latchman's feet, unable to do anything with it. And it, it, as the second half went on, uh, Jacob Muir actually started taking more and more responsibility for taking the ball into the attacking half. He barely did it in the first half, and he started, you know, trying to carry the ball into the attacking half a lot more in the second. But by that point, you know, hot day, midfield exhausted, creativity was on the wane, and Khalifi, I think they needed to move him central at some point. It seems as though he did become a bit more predictable and easier to defend as the game went on, and also, you know, the strike targets up there for Perth are not primo guys, you know. Ben uh, Azabel was released um, during the uh, during the day. Uh, Adam Taggart can't sign until the 10th or whenever the transfer window opens, so still a game or two until he's able to actually get on the field. They'll be a totally different team with Taggart up there, but I also think that they were a bit one-note with how they pursued this game, and Wellington Phoenix, I think, understandably, um, you know, managed a difficult situation while coming from cool New Zealand, long travel, hot night, um, they did well to score. They probably could have scored a second. Liam Reddy made a good save from Zavada. But uh, Cryov had a really frustrating night. Spent most of it backing, tracking back rather than doing anything proactive in an attacking sense. I'd be interested in his heat map because he I don't think he really touched the ball a great deal in a central position near the top of the penalty area other than 
his very slick involvement in the one and only goal of the game. And of course, uh, there were cheers heard all the way from the UFO because it was Steven Ugarkovic making the effort to hurdle through a gauntlet of two enclosing players and force a forward pass that actually started the chain reaction that led to the goal. But that was their their one and only real moment of great quality for the whole game. It was really well done by Ugarkovic for that goal. I know a lot of plaudits go into the three foreigners as they combine, but yeah, that goal doesn't happen um, without Ugarkovic taking that um, game on. I'll go to a couple of the comments um, and questions that are coming in first. Quickly back to Alan Riley for the Jets. Uh, outcome dependency regarding Pappas now hitting soccer Twitter. Thoughts on that? I, you can see the outcome dependency maybe exacerbating some of the criticism of the Jets. But as I said, you can't ignore what's happening in front of you. This team isn't playing as well as they were last season. And you have to acknowledge that. Um, Joseph coming through. I don't normally have funds. Says the worst person in the world. What do you want from me? I'm wearing a Santa hat. Look how cheery I am. I'm festive as all crap. Um, and then a proper question from uh, Alan Riley. Uh, what do we think of uh, Jelicic? Looks very good. Uh, now, so you and Mossy were calling him Jelicic on the call. When I say that name, I think Jelicic. Uh, I said Jelicic. Uh, oh, okay, Mossy was calling him Jelicic. Yep. Is it Jelicic or Jelicic? I think it's Jelicic, mate. Yeah, I'm going to go with Jelicic because that's what it looks like and that's what it should be. But what he's, do you think? He's, of he's smooth. He's so smooth. Mm-hmm. I I suspect he will um, grow in confidence. He's already got huge confidence in terms of individual situations, taking players on one-on-one. I feel as though he'll grow in confidence in terms of his ability to regularly impose himself on the game rather than to exist in isolated moments, drifting in and out of games. Nick, what? I was just going to say, like, I mean, there was that moment at the end there where he sort of sent two Wellington players for a doggy and he could have actually scored the winner. Like, you know, it was, as Terry probably realized, second half wasn't that exciting. And it was that one moment after a lot of sort of, ball, like, you know, U-shape possession, ball retention, not much, where the crowd actually got up and about and you thought, geez, he's going to score the winner here. But he just didn't shoot. It's like, mate, what are you doing? Like, you've, you've done all the hard work. Just get the shot away. But... Between him and Giordano Colley, they've got some two really talented young attacking midfielders uh, at their disposal. Really, really, really excited to see what they can do with the two of them. It's going to be hard to see whether they that you can maybe fit both of them in the same starting lineup if they're playing the system they are now. And But look, for me, for Perth, like the interesting thing will be is like when they do integrate Adam Taggart and if they can get Khalifi further forward, they've actually got a decent attack there. It's just... I don't know. Like they just lack that cutting edge. Like I know, yes, they played David Williams up front and everything like that, but yeah, just a lack of impetus, like a lack of dare, like very safe, you know? And I think that that's going to be the handbrake on them all season. Um, So, you know, I think at the end of the day, like I think they'd be a little bit disappointed that, you know, with the chances and they had even earlier in the game and the, the moments that they had in the game as well to actually Force the question of a Wellington team that, Taylor, as you mentioned, was spending so much time in the air and traveling and going from one condition to another. They didn't come away with more. Like, they have to, if they're going to do anything this season, as unlikely as it might be, they need to get as many points as they can at Macedonia Park. And the the heat and, you know, the fact that it's at, on their home deck, it, it, it provides an advantage and have got to make the most of that. So um, I think they'd be as much as it'd be, they'd be happy to get a point. I think in some areas, it's a valuable point against a team like Wellington. I think that to an extent, they'd be a little bit disappointed they didn't get all three. Yeah. Uh, and look, it's still, a, you track to, I think back to when they played Wellington Phoenix at Leichhardt Oval 
which I think was Zadkovic's first or second game, uh, the game where uh, the Chad scored his one and only A-League goal. The Chad. Um, still not sold on him, not even close. But um, the, uh, the, the, the improvement... The Chad was great. The Chad was great. Um, the improvement from then to now is, is, is marked, but they were at rock, rock, rock bottom yeah. last season. So yeah. there's still a long way to go. Um, anything, any more thoughts on this game before we move on? We will, uh, touch on the other game that took place then Brisbane Raw one, Western Sydney Wanderers one, Brisbane Raw. They've played eight. They've won two, lost one, drawn five. They've only conceded six goals this season which is the equal most stingy defence in the league with Melbourne City. Melbourne City have played one game less. Is Brisbane Raw what Western United was last season? They just don't have Alex Prijevic up front. Like, uh, are they just going to grind their way? Like, this team should be losing games. Like, you, you, like all rhyme or reason suggests that they can't create anything moving forward, but they just refuse to bloody concede. Like, what is this team? No, well, they're like Western United last year. They just keep on drawing. They're not winning 1-0. Like, this is the Western United. Is it because they don't have Prijevic? If replace Chaz Austin with Prijevic, are they top of the league? Yeah, but but even in those 1-0s at the start of the season, like, Western United were just jagging a winner. Like, they had guys like Connor Payne and, you know, Dylan Wenzel Halls just coming up with individual moments. They were able to jag a winner. Unfortunately for Brisbane, they don't have a surplus of attacking options that can do that. And especially now Charlie Austin has left. And I know Warren Moon said after the game, they're looking to bring someone in. It's going to be tough for them to, to get results, but it's, well, it's Supposedly Robbie Cruz is very close to yeah, signing. And I mean, we don't know what sort of shape Robbie Cruz is in, you know, post knee injury. Hopefully we can see, you know, a good few months from him because he's a TNC favorite, Robbie Cruz. And, yeah, T- you know, TNC approved best. Robbie Cruz. Yeah. Um, so hopefully we can see him perform heading back to his, uh, his boyhood club in Brisbane Raw. But um, I mean... Like, this was such a weird game. Like, it was the ultimate, like, it, it, I thought it was going to be a nil-nil. Like, I'm surprised there were goals in this game anyway. Like, I mean, what Wonders hell of a goal was, from Armiento, though? Oh, absolutely. Like, what a what a thunderbuster that was. Like, I know Robbie Thompson almost called it something else, but that was a, some hit. Um, that, mate, we're know, talking about Hazelwood versus Boland. We want someone to, to have outswingers yeah. on Boxing Day. It's Carlo Armiento. <laughs> it was a oh, knuckleball. It, it just... Yeah. Yeah, it just moved the last minute. Lawrence Thomas could do just nothing about it. But, I mean, Wanderers had chances in the first half to put this game away. Like, after Bazanic scored, there were some really good opportunities for them. But, again, Western Sydney are going to be a, are going to be sort of playing with a handbrake without Ninkovic and Cassini Yengi. And this is the third straight game without them for the entirety of the 90 minutes. I think Ninkovic only played about 20 minutes against Wellington before he got hurt. They're going to struggle without them too. Um, and it showed, like, I mean, you know, as much as they've got guys like Neuvenhoff and you can bring uh, Yeni and Bakoto in there and you've got Oli Bazanic who had some, you know, midfield experience, they're going to be playing with a hindrance without those two guys because we saw how important they were in those first few games. Yes, good defence, but going forward, just not enough. And I think Marco Rodin actually said they're going to be targeting some attacking players in January. Um, so, you know, he spoke a lot about they're basically bringing on kids right now and giving kids opportunities and he wants to get some more experience in there. Uh, not really surprised because that's been sort of the squad profile. Yeah, I mean, we're, like we're talking about experience. They they do have an experienced player playing experience. number nine, Kurpic, but like he's not scoring. 
Yeah, like at what point is the jury, you know, able to be called back in and deliver a verdict on Kurpic? Because right now, like if you've got like a Prijevic or a striker that can, you know, create goals up there, Western Sydney might be top of the league. Like he scored two goals like, and he started every single game, Joey. Two goals. Like, like it's not enough. And one was a penalty, wasn't it? Uh, uh let me have a look. But I think there was the one in round one. Yeah, I think it was. Or it might yeah. have been a two two tap ins, I think it might have been. Don't don't quote me on that, uh listeners. So like uh, but Western Sydney don't play attractive, incisive, beautiful football. Like they're a Marco Rudin coach team. You know, it does what it says on the tin. But in this league, the defending champions are Western United. Like I, I've said it before on this show, like we're talking about title contenders. Rudan can absolutely turn this Western Sydney Wanderers team into a title contender because you don't need to be a really good team to win the championship. You just need to be better than the team that you're playing on the day. And Rudan is capable of grinding out games and getting results against any team in this league on a day. He'll just do that. But they could be making life so much easier on themselves with just better recruitment, basically. And as some players returning from injury, I think, yeah, the wonder, like, feels like there's half a dozen teams in this league that just are weird. Like, you should be able to, like, you can't figure out what they're supposed to be, why why they do what they do. The World Cup break probably doesn't help because it, you know, has denied us the chance to see these teams get momentum. But um, there's a lot you know, weird questions. Phil Rollo, I'm assuming, talking about Brisbane, uh, saying uh, someone should sign Joey Champness. Um, no, not allowed to happen because there's only ever allowed to be one Joey in Australian football and that role is taken. So if he wants to be Joseph Champness again or Joey C, uh, that's fine, but can't be Joey Champness and get signed. Wait, I mean, he's living the highlight. Sorry, I, I know I'm getting on. I legitimately thought it was Jowick. <laughs> is this, am, I, am I Ray Gat? Is this my boomer moment? <laughs> how, many, how much black clothing do you wear, Tao? <laughs> not enough. Uh, um, I've lost my train of thought now. Um, but no, no, Joey C or Champness, he's living high off his settlement money that he got from that uh, FIFA decision with uh, taking his former club to court. So uh, you know, he's probably not in any rush. But uh, <laughs> I've been producing. <laughs> Correct. Uh, very good, Ben. Um, all right. That's all the A-League men games since we last recorded. Anything to add on the A-League hombres before we get to the A-League women's? No, just, you know, games keep rolling on. Games keep yeah. rolling on indeed. Um, actually, I did want to touch on that. How many new members will Western United pick up before Monday? Legitimately, that's something that Western United have to be careful about because if fans buy a Western United membership and uh, just come into the ground and cause trouble, well, they're Western United members causing trouble now. That's that's going to – and Western United will be held responsible well, for that. They, so. they cannot plead innocence as, yeah. a young, as a young, naive club. They're a joint stakeholder on everyone's responsibility to keep doing the right thing here. Yeah, so careful what you wish for. And I think Western United advertised how much their memberships cost in their statement on the victory sanctions, didn't they? 
they better hope nothing happens. I don't remember, but yeah. Yeah. So anyway, all right. Our League of Women's number of games took place. Tamer Pelizzeri, you were on the call for a lot of them, Um, but we're going to get to Sydney FC, Western Sydney Wanderers, the uh, Aliga Feminini Sydney Derby. Uh, yet again, Sydney FC beats Western Sydney. It's basically um, the Harlem Globetrotters versus the Washington Generals at that at this point, that rivalry. Um, what did you make of the game? Uh, gave it two halves. Only issue is Western Sydney didn't score. Um, really, if you haven't seen the action, just uh, watch the... A contentious penalty decision. It's it's in the three minute highlights. So credit to um, the guys putting it together. Um, no hiding from just a phantom penalty call, really. And then there was a, a rather blatant non penalty given for Western Sydney in the second half. At that point, it's two nil. Courtney Vine scored a really great goal. I'm not sold that Courtney Vine is going uh, at uh, the full effort uh, to use a to break the no Sharon rule. She's going at half rat power in this league at the moment, and and I. That is still said. Devano gets it. Devano follows Eggball. Um, but I, I suspect that uh, you know maybe it's also uh, tapering to peak in time for the World Cup rather than hitting the season going at 100 k's an hour. Look, Wanderers have uh, scored. It's for- a, hold on, I just is that a good thing that like we were like we the, the I know we've talked about this tons on the show. The build up to the men's World Cup, you had players going hard desperately trying to prove that they deserved a place in Graham Arnold's squad. They were going out there desperate. I really need to give it everything I've got to make sure I don't lose my place. Trent Sainsbury did lose his place in the squad. Is it a good thing if we've got players managing themselves? Like, Well, if it's, the if, it's not, if it's not self-management, it's just not good enough form. So, but how, how closely is that being attended to? Um, so, uh, what would I say about this game? Um, Wanderers haven't scored for four consecutive games. They've only scored two goals for the season. They've lost their first five games of the year. And when they kick off against Wellington on the 2nd of January, it will be 51 weeks since they last won a game. And they've won one of their last 19. And when you consider that a home and away season is now 18 games, and last season it was 14 games, to have only won one of your last 19 this should be a bigger deal, but maybe it speaks to the apathy of Western Sydney's fan base that they literally just don't have enough people to go and, you know, not, um, I go, you know, go and, uh, like the torture, grab the pitchforks about it. Yeah. Pick at the front doors of the club, but even just social media chatter replies to comments and posts, the fan base has checked out on this team and and that's sad. They, I wish, I wish they could re-engage people and make them care because, this team has no excuse for being what it is. Well, Tayo, I mean, what what happens if the Wanderers lose against Wellington? Like, that is the game. If they're going to win any game, I know it's in Wellington, and Wellington are probably looking at it as if that's the game that we can we can get off the mark as well. It's one of those. This is their games. Super Bowl. Uh, based on well, based on the based on the exposed form, I still think you know the second half today in particular. If Wanderers pick an eleven that gives them the best chance of winning. Because at times it feels like it's a bit of an internal struggle against themselves uh, as to what their own identity is and, and who their sort of prime movers and prime takers of responsibility are in that team. I mean, they subbed goalkeeper at halftime today. So clearly they're still throwing um, stuff at the wall, trying to make something stick, right? So, the wall. 
I would mm. I would say for now they are still favourites against Wellington. With that said, Wellington drew and beat them last year, so they got four out of six points. Well, Wanderers did not beat them last year, uh, and it's over there. So well, the pressure's on. The pressure's well and truly on. Well, this is supposed to be an espresso Christmas Eve edition of TNC, so I am going to move us on. Although I do think this is going to be something that we should probably devote a decent section of TNC onto Western when, when we can, When it's not Christmas Eve and we can rope one of Taron or Pagua. Yeah, we'll, we'll, well, we'll try to get all three. Well, let's get a, let, we'll get a, as many of our, uh, the Aliga Feminina callers and the like that we have in the tent on the show and we can discuss it in detail. Nick, one final point. Just one question for you, Teo. Uh, Remy Seamson hurts. Madison Haley's still uh, dealing with a niggling injury. Uh, just reading the AAP report now, Ante Juric, confidence, nothing serious. But in the case that Seamson and Haley are both missing, because they, they went from having both of them and how do you fit them both in the team, sort of juggling the two of them, what happens if neither are available for quite some time? How, how, do, they, how do they work around this? Uh, they, they improvise. They, they either play Rachel Lowe as the falsest nine, or they put Mary Stanich Floody, who is 16 up top, or they go with Princess Abini as a centre forward and Abby Lemon starts on a wing. They've got options. It's just none of them are natural options. That's, yeah. Um, or, or, and I hate to say this on Christmas Eve, fellas, Annika Stajic, the daughter of Stadge. She's a number nine. Oh, boy. Merry, Christ- Merry Christmas. Thanks and success. Enjoy the culture war. All right. Yeah, but a last-minute move for for I, Kote Rojas when her injury well, replacement contract comes to an end, and bring here's her the thing, home. I've, I've seen Annika play in the NPL. I think they could throw in the deep end and give it a go because Sydney's a quality team, and they'll give her heaps of support. It's better than being thrown in the deep end at a Newcastle or a Wellington or a Wanderers and a struggling team. Well. On the subject, Taylor, you mentioned going to a 16-year-old as an option. We uh, mentioned Rojas as well, so I'm going to use that to segue into Melbourne City. Um, Daniela Galic, the 16-year-old playing for Melbourne City, she got on the score sheet in their 4-0 win over Canberra United. Uh, Rojas uh, scoring a nice goal in the 69th minute. Um, Policina with a brace as well. it, like I'm looking at this, you look at this Melbourne City team, they're top of the league right now, albeit Western United are undefeated, but they're in third because they've had the bye. But this Melbourne City side, they've got um, Holly McNamara, Rose Barkin, Wilkinson, Emma Checker, all to come back into this team. Um, and you've got a longer season now to get them up to speed, to get them healthy. They might lose Amina Ekic because she's only here on loan from the WN- um, WNSL, but... It feels like Melbourne City, especially with um, and as more, as Dario Vidasic gets more experience in the main chair as well. I really rate Dario Vidasic as a coach. Um, it feels like this is like we've seen in previous years. Melbourne City start season slowly, and then previously it was their Matildas contingent coming in, and they just turn into a runaway freight train as the season goes on. Rojas potentially leaving when her injury replacement contract comes up is a something to keep an eye on. But it feels like this is a Western, not this is a Melbourne City side that is only going to get better as the season goes on. And they're pretty good right now. They are good, but Western exposed their vulnerability, which is their defense is still less experienced than last season. And and they can be beaten. Does Rose Bark and and Checker fix that? No, because I don't. Because Checker was there last year, 
And as much as Naomi Chinema is looking more at home in the A-League women, she's still only 18. And Ross Bakken playing in the the middle of a back three didn't work at Canberra last year. Um, So does she go to left back instead? Uh, Look, if they have 65 to 70% of possession and they continue to create more than two XG per game, they are going to score two to four goals per game. The, The question is, you know, will they starve the opposition of the chance to hit them on the counter with PNP? Michelle Heyman should have scored a hat-trick in this game. She missed three excellent chances, two of them when the game was still in the balance and one of them when it was already 3-0. So they are still giving up chances to, you know, other teams. And I still think that they are going to need to evolve and be more defensively solid in order to beat Sydney FC and uh, to get their revenge on Western and also to beat Melbourne Victory now that Victory are on song. They, they, they do look very vulnerable on the counter city. That's one thing I really did notice. Like there were chasms through the middle of the park and out wide yesterday for players like Jale and Milivojevic to expose. And Taylor, you mentioned it. That one cutback in particular where Heyman was literally by herself in the middle of the penalty box that she blazed over. I still can't believe she missed that. Like, finish, that, yeah. that has to go in. But um, Joe, you mentioned it, how this team is going to keep getting better. It's like, you lose Rojas and Ekic, but you arguably upgrade to McNamara and Wilkinson. Like it, it's almost unfair. Like it's 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 actually almost unfair to the rest of the league. Like well, it, it's still fairer than when they were adding three quarters of the Matilda oh, starting eleven to their team. We, well, I mean, to, to be fair, in in five years' time, Akato and Carrich might be in the Matildas. And we yeah. just we just don't know it yet, and we're watching it happen before our eyes. So and probably Galich as well. Like, let's be real. Like, you know, yeah. she's probably going to be fast. Well, Gallic, Gallic, I, I might be all on my own saying pump the brakes on Gallich, um, because every other expert I talk to is not pumping the brakes. I, I'm always going to be, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to say no to pumping the brakes on any 16 year old. It's not really fair to. Decre- declare any 16-year-olds the next not, big thing. Maybe this maybe this cycle might be a bit too soon for her to, you know, break into the Matilda squad, but maybe after the Women's World Cup, I reckon well, yeah. certainly, yeah, 100%, 110%. It was supposed to be one of the signs of Australian women's football maturing and becoming more professional and now the resourcing becoming greater, that players were sticking around longer and we weren't throwing, you know, 15-year-olds, 16-year-olds, Kerrs and Carpenters and Van Egmonds into the national team anymore that we were able to have a more gradual graduation process of junior national teams and the like that that's the sign of like that's the sign of a mature footballing system that's supposed to be working well so yeah we don't we don't need to you know be relying upon well we don't need to be heaping more pressure on a 16 year old and that's something that Dario Vidasic has talked about that he said she can be anything she wants to be but he's very aware of not adding too much pressure to her and managing her along, which is probably another benefit. I mean, Dario was a pretty handy prospect, you know, had a lot of plaudits coming forward to Croats. Like he can probably relate to her and he's not too far removed from his playing career that he probably knows how to manage that very well um, moving forward. So question to you both. I mean, uh, Raleigh Dobson wrote in a keep-up column this week about players that could potentially push for a Matilda's call-up or who should be in the reckoning, and one was Grace Ma. Uh, what are your thoughts? Is Grace Ma someone to potentially keep an eye on for a Matilda's call-up? Are you guys in the camp that you should get an opportunity, or it's uh, we're going to pump the brakes on that one as well? There are lots of good technicians in this league that don't have the tank to keep up with international football. You watch that Germany versus England final, I hate to say it, Spain getting knocked out by England kind of set the 
um, TNT cause back in favour of PNP because the two European teams that play most like the United States ended up in the final, let's be honest. Um, and we Australia has, you know, Rihanna Policina, Emily Condon, Grace Ma. We have all these great technicians who can play passes and can control games at a certain speed. Yeah. And, the, and the speed that they can't control them at, or at least have not been able to prove themselves to be able to hang with our internationals at, is international football. If, they, I mean, if there's one bolter, I said it on the coverage today, it's Kirsty Fenton because she has the athleticism to run up and down a flank all game. She's two-sided, left and right foot, can play anywhere across the defence. Just call her up. There's your answer. There's our, there's our deputy to Steph Catley right there. Kirsty yeah, Fenton. And- and you also need to bear in mind, it's been one of the motifs of Tony Gustafsson's press conferences ever since he's come in. Like the, the physical level you need to be at to play international football and the step up in intensity that international football represents. It was one. Of, it was at the core of his previous criticisms of uh, the A-League women's competitions and players that were sticking around for the NPL, that these competitions simply weren't of the level of physicality needed to prepare you for international football. Now he's copped a lot of stick for his statements around A-League women's. You can take issue with it and maybe places as much or as little importance on that as he does. However, he's the coach of the national team. Ergo, he's the one picking the squad ostensibly. So you have to pay attention to these things when you're analyzing potential bolters. Um, but there was one other game played the, thus far this weekend. We've had a few postponements in the coming days ahead because of heat. But the Newcastle Jets, nil. Can I interrupt, Joey? There yes. Was, there, were th- there were three teams in this game. Newcastle Jets, Brisbane Raw, and Katrina Gorey. And Katrina Gorey won this game 2-0. Team Unicorn won this game 2-0. You were watching. You were watching, Joey. I was calling. People don't need to hear from me about this one because my opinion is right there in one sentence. What was yours? I mean, I can't really add much to it. Katrina Gorey is a very, 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 very good footballer. Like, as I mentioned in my match report, Brisbane Brisbane Raw hadn't won a game all season. Katrina Gorey comes. Sorry. Yeah. No, Katrina Gorey. Sorry. I'll say that again. I'll start again. Brisbane Raw. Katrina Gorey comes back into the squad and all of a sudden they go on a winning streak. Like... She's just a very good player. And and Hensley handcuffs a great a great pickup in goal as well. Like she's athletic, Raw, yeah. Raw give me a best of the rest vibe though. I don't think they're going to touch the top four. The way they were beaten 4-0 by Sydney FC, um, they play Sydney again with Gorry in Brisbane, but I think that's a watch this space because it's only in a week's time and it's a two PM Brisbane kickoff. So yeah, we'll we'll have to wait and see. I just hope I hope that there's a cold snap in Brisbane. The yeah. uh, the, the one thing that I took out of this guys was uh, Murphy Agnew. Just hope she's all good. That was a, a very very nasty collision. Um, so just sending all best wishes to her and hope that she's all good. I'm not a medical expert. I'm not an athletic trainer. I'm nothing like that. You know, but. I have to question whether standing Murphy Agnew up after she'd fallen heavily like that remain prone on the surface without moving for so long when she's basically being held upwards and sucking on the green whistle, whether standing an individual who has a potential spinal injury up was the right call, especially when in the end she couldn't walk off and she had to be stretched off. Um, I, like I said, I'm not a medical person, 
it just sort of feels like when somebody has a potential spinal injury, you shouldn't stand them up um, in those circumstances. But hopefully, apparently she rejoined the bench during the game. Um, Ash Wilson said that it was a scary situation, but she's hopeful that it's not too bad. Um, but yeah, scary situation for uh, Murphy Agnew. Um, anything to add on the A-Liga women's front before we move on? No, Dub Zone's back on New Year's Eve, and there's a game on the 27th, which is City Perth. Which is City Perth, and that game has been moved now. It is going to be played after the men's game, uh, Central Coast eight, versus eight Melbourne City. Yeah, moved, has been moved yeah. back because um, the uh, obviously it's supposed to be 36 degrees in Melbourne on Tuesday. So, um, yeah, not don't want to play football in that. But we shall now move on to the next part of the show. And, well, it is a Christmas edition of TNC. So Christmas stockings... I'm not sure what you you gentlemen are going to find in your actual Christmas stocking tomorrow morning, morning, what it has been stuffed with. But what do you want to, what do you think Australian football needs to find in its Christmas stocking? What do you think it's going to be delivered? Now, young boy, Lockie Flanagan has sent through a uh, audio file of what he thinks. However, I have yet to actually move it from the chat into any sort of device. So what I might do is just play it and hold my uh, phone up to my speaker, which is just fine production values here. But well, before can, we... can we just, we should just preface this by saying we're, these, these have been sent while we've been live. So I've we're going, in, we're, we're to going totally, okay. So we're not going totally nude on his, but we yeah. are on stock. No, no, so. no, oh, no yeah. <laughs> All right. Um, Nick, Whilst Teo shares his, you need to just screen stalls and make sure that he doesn't. Yeah, uh, mute yourself and screen stall. All right, Teo, what do you want Australian football to find in its Christmas stocking? I think I think a roadmap um, to uh, the connected pyramid, national second division. Every time we bring this up, someone tags on a year. No one has said twenty twenty five yet. So the, the next the next time there's a news drop. I do not want to see the number five in my stocking. I want to see no fives. I just want to see 2023s and 2024s. I don't want to see any fives. I think uh, we we have plenty of trust in Football Australia. Um, you know, yes, there's been the Avondale uh, bespoke court case, which was you know a year ago now, back in February. We had the um, we had the Sydney United Australia Cup final. But we rolled, we rolled with these punches. There are too many people who still want this to happen. There are too many people who are still committed to happen. I want to open my, my Santa sack and I want to pull out a pyramid and that pyramid will be the interconnected pyramid of Australian football. We are slowly but surely making our way towards the panacea, uh, if I can break the no sharing rule again. So I'm hoping that we, uh, we see that in the sack. And, and you know what? Uh, Joey, I think this conversation has reminded us that things are nowhere near as doom and gloom as some people would have you believe over the last two weeks of uh, the Australian game. You know, I, I don't have any great demands for what is in that sack other than to, you know, we stage a good World Cup. Um, I get to do something proactive and contribute to it, uh, whatever that may be. Yeah, I let's have a good year in 2023. That's what I want in the Santa sack. 
Okay, I'm exporting Stoll's audio file now. That he's gone over. He's gone over four minutes. Bloody hell! Um, I'm exporting that audio file now. Can I just say, it? having listened to the first a minute and a half, there is a lot of waffle. Um, from oh, this Stoll. is TNC. Yeah. Waffle, waffle is what we yeah. do. So as I import... listen to the rest of it to make sure it's all it's it's all kosher, or do we? Keep no, going? as long as he hasn't as long as he hasn't dropped the the proper magic, I think we're okay. Yeah. Let me, let me, let me um, all right, so Nick Devano, you can take us through. What do you want Australian football to find in its stocking? Uh, first of all, I guess from a purely selfish marquee standpoint, I want them to find Luis Suarez in oh, their Christmas nice. stocking for nice. January. And I would like that Marco Rudan's uh, experienced str- uh, attacker is Luis Suarez just to purely boil the piss because it would be awesome to see him down here and also playing for the Wanderers. Just add a little bit of extra, you know, a bit of something, you know. I think Suarez playing for the Wanderers is honestly perfect. Um, so for me, that's the big thing that I would love to see uh, in the Christmas stocking. Another thing as well, uh, Women's World Cup in, in June, July, or sorry, July, August. Um, I just hope to see everyone get behind this. Fans getting to stadiums, packing them out, um, really getting behind the Matildas, getting behind just other nations. Like if you can get to a game, go, go check it out. It's going to be a great atmosphere. I, I think a lot of people from outside the Australian football bubble probably don't realize the magnitude of how big of an event this is. Like I've spoken to people outside of Australian football saying like, you know, people who aren't fans and stuff and say like, look, there's Women's World Cup coming next year. And they're kind of sort of glossing over the fact of like, doesn't sound that big no like this is the biggest event australia has held since the 2000 olympics like no the 2006 commonwealth games does not stack up against this so this is this is a big moment and i am i am just hoping that you know we have a a good run from the matildas a real exciting run as well and it can really galvanize the people but also just get behind the teams get to your games if you're in australia and new zealand you know there's a lot of kickoff friendly times even on weekdays and on weekends as well. And there's a lot of great players to come out and see in great nations. Like you're not always going to see the US and Spain and England and these nations on your front doorstep. So make the most of it. I think it's going to be really great. So that's probably more from a football Australia and and an A-Leagues level. But a third one, just a bloody good NPL season as well, fellas. Like I can't wait for February to roll around. I'm missing the NPL too much. It does feel like a long time since the end of last season, doesn't it? South oh, Melbourne, like- uh, Oakley smashing South Melbourne 5-0 at a rain-drenched Heidelberg. Yeah. Blacktown City beating Manly United 2-0 at uh, Parramatta Stadium. Feels like a very long time ago. It feels like a long time ago since I called Alana Cern, Alana Churn and got laughed at by our current Western United women's players on the touchline of Olympic Village. Uh, so can I, that is her name. Time. That is her can, name. Can I read uh, some of the tweets that we got about what people want to see in their, in their Santa sack? I yes. have some horrendous news for Paul Case. Paul said a sub two-hour pod. Sorry, Paul. Wow. Um, we yeah, went we two hours last week. What does he want from us? Uh, Marco says a Canberra United men's team announcement. Um, uh, why would he say that? Uh, Georgia <laughs> Georgia Radic uh, said goals of the year not scored against Lawrence Thomas. So even though he's now at Western Sydney United, G-Raj um, not appreciating that uh, Lawrence Thomas is still copping bangers against him in the colours of Western Sydney Wanderers. Uh, a lot of people replied about aliens, about UFOs, like just just stuff that I don't understand. Someone's going to have to explain that to me when we finish the show. 
um, because I, I don't I don't understand, fellas. Um, now we had a curious one here from Nicholas. He said maybe a break off pod. A, what? A sp- so is it? I think are we at the point now where they want a spin off show from TNC? Do they want the Better Call Saul version? If TNC is Breaking Bad, do they want Better Call Saul and El Camino, the TNC what? version so, of El Camino? Is, is, like, is what, no, like, what is it? Like, so, like, if where the national curriculum is, our break-off pod lunch break, the recess, like, what? How does it, that work? Well, if, if if Better Call Saul was like the main supporting character in Breaking Bad, the main supporting character in Breaking Bad, does that make it Better Call Lockie or Better Call? Better call, better call young boy. He's actually put in the comments. Better call stole. Like is, call that, stole. is that is that is that the one? And then El Camino is El Yukic or something like that. Maybe it's following him on his way back from the UFO. Um, <laughs> I, I don't know. I don't know. But hey, I'm all for it. If the spin-off show, hey, maybe the spin-off show is the TNC AFL edition tower that we have been championing for over a year now. Proper footy. Um. Well, hang on. You remember how Fox Foxtel used to have those time shift plus two hour channels back before they had the Fox to like are we going to have TNC minus two with Phil Rollo in New Zealand and then TNC plus two with Ben Smith in Perth is that the answer Sunday it becomes a six hour experience on your Sunday because it starts in New Zealand, rolls into us on the East Coast, and then finishes over in WA. 24-hour 20, 24 24 hour TNC channel. Just ESPN puts us on the air, 24 hours, foreign correspondence, the whole Joey, jazz. I can see it now. Tonight on the TNC agenda. <laughs> Just They give us all these shows. TNC agenda, TNC spinoffs, TNC cooking show. Make it happen. Are we are we gonna get like you know when then when we finish up in Perth? What's the next time zone? Like, what's do we go to Southeast Asia? Like, is it gonna be the uh, like the yeah Thai the Singapore slinger? Go into TNC TNC India? Like the we, no, we that's when we come back to the East Coast and it's um up late with TNC or TNC after dark. Yeah, or... we'll get hot dogs. We'll bring him. Yeah, I'll get hot dogs. Who, who yeah. hang on? Who is who is the soccer Twitter equivalent of hot dogs? I mean, there'd be a few candidates, surely. Leave Actually, us I in probably, the comments. I probably, I probably, I probably shouldn't say. Leave it in the comments. Who is the uh, soccer Twitter, soccer Twitter equivalent of uh, hot dogs? But now we talked about him. That is the Ben Smith has just put the Sharon rule. That is a brilliant name for the podcast. <laughs> All right, here we go. Nick stole. Nick stole put his message in Signal, so I've been able to download it. Lockie put his message in Facebook, so I haven't been able to download it. Here is Nick Stoll's Christmas wish. Merry Christmas, TNC family. Uh, I hope you're having a wonderful time. I imagine this will be played at the three-hour mark of the program. Uh, What do I want in uh, Australian football's Christmas stocking uh, for next year? Uh, Look, it's a pretty existential question, I'll be honest with you. Uh, I don't even know if I understand the ramifications. Does it have to be something that can fit in the stocking? How big is this stocking? Uh, can this stocking maintain things that will happen in the future? For example, the Women's World Cup. I feel like that would be uh, an amazing thing to happen. Well, it is going to be an amazing thing to happen in 2023. I hope uh, the Matildas do really well. Hope they win it. Um, hope is not a strategy, but uh, you know that's for them to devise the strategy. Uh, I will just be doing the hoping of you know 
know, like every fan will be. Uh, and I hope everyone gets behind the tournament. And, uh, you know, we see lots of packed-out stadiums uh, for every game. Uh, that's kind of my big wish for 2023. I hope, in regards to the A-League, that we sort out this mess and that we get active support back and that they, you know, that they give the atmosphere that the game so often, you know, need. Uh, they're so vital to the game. Uh, and I just kind of hope that we all continue to enjoy football that's really what I kind of think is that like and I know that sounds kind of weird of course we're going to enjoy football like we love football but you know every single day where yeah, all of us are probably involved in football in some way whether it's you know as a fan watching and going to games or whether it's uh, working in it whether you're a coach or a player or in the media or whatever and I just think it's like this game is so special, is so beautiful, is so incredible, opens up so many doors and so many possibilities. And I just think if we can continue to encourage that in the right way and, and kind of always put the game first, not ourselves. I feel like a lot of people maybe have been putting themselves first uh, lately. Uh, that will all, you know, a rising tide lifts all boats, right? So we put the game first, we will all reap the benefits of that. And so I just think that for 2023, I hope that everyone just tries to think, how can I help the game forward a little bit? And that might just be, you know, encouraging someone to play or, you know, going to a, a game uh, that you wouldn't normally go to or anything like that. So, you know, I hope everyone or you know reading articles and sharing it and just continuing this game and helping it grow so i hope everyone has an amazing uh, 2023 uh, i'm sure tnc uh will be back with uh it's late and <laughs> way too long episodes and uh i hope you have a a great time over this period get a good rest and, you know, just remember that we live in a world now where Messi is world champion. Like, how good is that? There's, there was a time in our lives, and it was as little as a week ago, where we lived in a time where Messi wasn't world champion. And now we live in a world where Messi is world champion, and it's just a better world. It's just, just, you cannot tell me it's not a better world. It's in a much better world. The sun is brighter. The air is clearer. The water tastes better. Life is sweeter. Messi is world champion. I never have to listen to some dumb bullshit dickhead telling me, oh, well, Messi has to win a World Cup. Messi never does it in international football. Nah, nah, nah. That's gone. That sound will never be heard again. Oh, the glory. It's a good time. It's a good life. I love football. I love you. Good luck in life. Thanks and success. Merry Christmas, TNC family. Uh, I hope you're having a wonderful time. I imagine this will be played at the three-hour mark of the program. It's uh, going back. Going back with what more. What do I want in uh, Australian <laughs> football's Christmas stocking? Oh, no, we've uh, gone back to the start. Wow. All right, uh, yeah. Looks pretty excellent. Pause it. Stop it. Jesus Prius. Christ. For his oh. from his hell. Jesus. He, he, wow. he accuses me of going on. <laughs> Jesus. Listen. Like we are going to do a Church of Messi segment. We'll get Stoll on the show and just let him loose for half an hour so he can get his messy propaganda out of the way. Um, 
We did try, by the way. We did we, we did try on both Monday night and Tuesday night, and um, real life got in the way, sadly. Yeah. So. But um, Nick Stoll taking the question: What do you? What uh, item do you want to be put in Australian football stocking this Christmas, and instead listing an entire fucking Christmas trees worth of shit? Um, well, he's not asking about semantics. How big is the stocking? Like he wasn't he wasn't thinking about just a normal Christmas stocking. He wants to know how big, and his Christmas stocking is freaking huge by the looks of it. Bigfoot stocking. Bloody hell. Um, okay. <laughs> uh, right. Um, <laughs> right. I've told Lockie that I can't download his audio from Messenger. So unless Lockie wants to appear on this, he's got the link um, to the stream well, so he can appear in the next 30 seconds and do it live. Otherwise, I, I can I can play it into my headset here if you like. I think it might sound a bit better than your microphone. Okay. Tyler, play Lockie's uh, audio, please. Stop me. Stop, stop me if this is no good. Hello, TNC family. It's Lockie Flanagan or Young Boy or whatever incendiary name you might prefer to call me here. Hope you're all having a wonderful festive season so far. Just dropping in to do my hopes uh, for what's in my football stocking this year. But look, in the spirit of the season, it's a time for giving. I'm actually not going to talk about what I want for football. I'm going to be talking instead about what I hope to see in the stockings and the immediate future of the other members of this podcast, starting off with Nick DeBarno. I really hope that in his Christmas stocking is an armistice, an armistice paper to end the great microwave war of 2022 so that Nick and his microwave can finally shake hands, end the battle, and he can appear on future pods with no internet breaks, siren to siren. Stoll, I desperately hope that inside his stocking is a big, big venture capital injection from Regari Industries so that he can grow his burgeoning tomato business into an empire. And perhaps he can also bottle up some of the tears that he cried when Messi won the World Cup and, and sell those. I'm not sure if that few people on the internet seem to have some success with that. But anyway, uh, as for Josh, I hope that, uh, well, he can get elected old Barnaby Josh into uh, into Parliament and, you know, succeed in his mission of uniting the coalition and launching a spill motion against Peter Dutton. Um, look, politically, that's not really what I want, but I know that's what Barnaby Josh holds very dear to his heart, so I wish him all the thanks and success in the world for that. Well, Joey, in his stocking this year, I hope... Well, it's not in the stocking, but I hope he finds it in his heart to say something nice about Scotland in the next year to pull a bit of kindness to scotland out of that stocking joey you are you know old english so-and-so teo i hope that inside his stocking is an ability to stay in touch with the common man and keep calling the new south wales npl in and amongst all his other commentary commitments so that next year he can become the first person in australia to call the top three tiers of australian soccer in one calendar year and finally that leaves Ante. Now, Ante, well, I hope I find Ante in my stocking, to be quite frankly. Um, to be quite frank with you, sorry, because I, I haven't seen him. I haven't checked the stocking. Maybe he's been in my Christmas stocking the whole time, and that's where Ante's been hiding. Maybe you should check your stocking at home. Um, we're running out of places to look at this point. 
But seriously, I hope we can find Ante. And if not, if he is lost to the cosmos, I hope in whatever UFO grayed out in the, in the big wide world that's holding him captive, I hope he's enjoying playing 4D chess with the aliens, listening to his cosmic jazz and telling his captors why Luka Modric is more impressive than the interstellar travel that led to his abduction, which we all know he would have done that. But most importantly to all of you, I hope you have a lovely festive season uh, and I wish you good luck in life for 2023. Thanks and success. How come everybody else (laughs) peace and love, goodwill, I hope you have success, I miss you, I want to find you, and I get a bloody demand. (laughs) Everybody else gets goodwill, but uh, but I get a request. Merry Christmas, Ebenezer Joey. I get a request. Uh, People wonder why I'm so jaded and angry and the worst person in the world. It's because I'm driven. Say it. Bar humbug. Bar, bar humbug. Come on, Joey. He'll Pops on all your mate. houses. I hope, oh, I hope Santa doesn't visit Lockie Flanagan. Bloody hell. People wonder why I'm so jaded. I get driven to it. I even wore a hat. I'm going to start calling you King uh, Longshanks sooner rather than later, uh, Joey, the way you're going. is, is for a bit of a Braveheart reference there. I, you know... I enjoy the comedy stylings of Billy Connolly. <laughs> there you go. It, Scotland looks yeah, very pretty looking at it from Carlisle. There you go. Um, I've met many very nice Scottish people. Um, <laughs> no, I don't. I Ben Smith saying that I sound and look like Jim Carrey's Grinch. No, I don't. Have you even seen the Grinch? No, no, I don't. What I would like to see in Australian football's Christmas stocking, um, I'm going to do it seriously and not whatever that nonsense was prior to it. Um, One thing, I'm going to pick up on a number of themes that others have shared throughout theirs. Um, I think continuing on from something that I wrote a series of articles on, last uh during the middle of this year we've seen levels of it in the past few weeks i hope australian football its fans consumers increasingly uh paying pay attention to and are cognizant of those that are in charge of the game what they're in charge of and there's always increasing levels of holding those in charge of the game to account, but in an intelligent and proper manner. manner. So, and a properly informed manner, remembering what Australian football's leaders have promised in the past, how they have acted in the past and holding them to account for those actions. Because I think when we have leaders of the game at all levels, be it at the APL, be it at Football Australia, be it at the PFA, be it in the media, anyone with a degree of power in Australian football, if they are being held to account for their words and their actions and their promises, um, I believe that that can only make Australian football a stronger place. Um, in terms of, I would have to echo, echo, bloody hell, echo Tao's sentiments surrounding the national second division, 
uh, expression of interest uh, phase is supposed to begin early year, maybe around February, maybe March, um, before we move through that process. I hope that process goes through uh, smoothly. I hope that process is treated with good faith by both of those taking part and the broader Australian football community. And I hope that at around the Women's World Cup time, Football Australia is not sure whether it will be pre or post Women's World Cup, That, but that when those uh, inaugural national second divisions are announced and we have the start date, I hope it really creates a groundswell of excitement for the A-Leagues. I hope that the A-Leagues find a solution that allows them to begin to build back up a level of trust and respect between themselves and their most important stakeholders, their supporters. Um, that is going to be a long process. I don't know how you do it, um, but in the end, that has to happen if the A-Leagues are going to be healthy and thrive. You have to bring along the fans. Women's World Cup, I hope, A, I hope it's an amazing event. Uh, it's going to be the biggest sporting event this country has seen since, since, since the Sydney Olympics. I hope it goes amazingly. Uh, I hope the Matildas have a great uh, World Cup. I hope England wins it. Um, and I also hope there is a proper plan in place to make sure that our legacy is more than just fancy new um, subspenches at Amy Park and grounds around the country. I hope there's a distinctive plan in place that means that there's a lasting legacy not just for the elite side of the game and the A-League women's and our developmental platforms, but also I want there to be a concrete legacy for junior participation, just a girl at a community club. How can we make sure that this Women's World Cup works for her just as much as it does the top end of town? Um, we improve coaching quality. We improve access to coaches, facilities, all of that sort of stuff. Um, I want the Women's World Cup to have a massive impact for the the um grassroots as well national teams just yeah i I, to be honest in the now i'll just descend into what stoll says i just hope everybody has a nice time and that we all like each other and that you we all support australian football in my case um biased i hope you all click and read my stuff and tell my editors how much you appreciate it so somebody finally sticks a ring on it and i get a full-time gig somewhere um and yes that kind of stuff um but yeah joey's cheap, joey's cheap plugs one last cheap plug more like joey's cheap uh job plug or something like that but yeah those are my thoughts um is, is joey's cheap plugs do you reckon it's outranked uh the amount of eyes damien barrett used in this interview with max becker oh no no <laughs> just very quickly um we hey we came back for an emergency podcast in christmas week as well you know yeah, there we go. Um, that was more, so, that, that was less a joke. That, that, yeah, that was less than, um, This can't happen. <laughs> this can't. Someone outside the tent's bagging us. This is unacceptable. <laughs> and then I, Alan Riley coming up with another accent barb. Yeah, I, I think my that the last bit of mine was less a Joey's cheap plug and more a Joey's cheap issues come and get me play um, to use football <laughs> manager parlance. No, but it's been a um, great year. Uh, what else? Uh, a Liga belt, no change in that. The Mariners won, so Caltech retains the A Liga belt. Um, fantasy round that. hasn't concluded, so we're not going to get into that. Could we have a first two-time champion on Tuesday? Fallon Barish as a man-of-the-match performance in a Melbourne City win. 
Two time, two time. What a shame. A situation like that. Or, well, well, when's Western United next playing now? Because they're not playing Wednesday. Did, when, when is their next game? Like, in A-League women's. Great uh, question. Assuming their uh, game doesn't get reorganised before it. It's a way to Perth Glory on the first. So so Riley Bazin is coming for Alana Cern. It's going to be interesting to see whether Chad. she can return. Yeah, Chad. I wonder, I wonder who's commentating that game now that you've jogged my memory. Sunday, January the 1st at 7pm Eastern. There we go. Are you doing it? Is that you checking your roster or? <laughs> no, no, Jamie Vardy. It's me, it's me, it's you know whatting me. Okay. It's uh, Teo Pelizzeri's call. Um, right. We've gone over two hours now. This was supposed to be an espresso edition. We've failed miserably. Um, but what I'm going to say, I'll wrap it up now by saying this is also our last show of the year because next Sunday is going to be the first. So... To everybody that's come along on this ride with the national curriculum across the past 12 months, we have, of course, we moved to ESPN um, over the past 12 months. The It's been incredible to see just how many people have embraced the national curriculum uh, throughout 2022, how many people uh, join us every week in the comment sections following along about how these little jokes that we have on the show, like Aliga and the like, just take on a life of their own. NRI. Um, NRI, results-based analysis, PNP. Yeah, yeah the, you all for the RBA. It. I had to explain RBA to quite a few people this week. So, yep. <laughs> Not the Reserve Bank of Australia. Well, we love you for it. Thanks for a second there, Tao. Is this, is this really the sounding board now? <laughs> no, 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 no. Well, when, the, when, this show came, when this show came back, uh, we wanted to fill a void that we felt wasn't there in Australian football. We wanted to talk about the football. We wanted to have the discussions that weren't being talked about elsewhere. We hope that uh, we have been able to do that. We hope that people that listen to us have been able to take a new perspective on the game. And that is, we, we hope that we have been able to enrich people's experience of Australian football and that we have been able to positively affect um, the discourse here in the local game. That was what we, we didn't start this podcast to get an ESPN deal or anything like that. We just started up because we were mates that wanted to talk about football and hopefully share some of our thoughts and conversations um, along the way. So uh, very, merry, merry Christmas, a, a thanks and success Christmas and a good luck in life new year. Uh, we love we love you all, especially thinking my role in Canteen Australia. I always say at this time of time, this time of year, much love and good vibes, and knowing that we all we love you to people doing it tough um, at this time of year. It can be a very difficult time, um, as I've learned over the, my years with Canteen. So to you, especially in our Canteen family, we love you. We hope you're doing okay, and we're here for you. But for now. I'll say it. I'll wrap it up. A very thanks and success Christmas and a good luck in life new year. Bring on the post show.